Good morning, folks. How are you? Good morning. We'll call the uh, City Council's budget work session to order. We're expecting our president shortly, but we will get underway. And so, the uh, Madam Clerk, if you will read the uh, evacuation announcement, and then we'll proceed with the agenda, um, starting with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office first. Thank you. Yes, Madam Vice Chair. County evacuation announcement. Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exit to the left or right in front of council chamber or the east-west stairway outside the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use the elevators or the escalator. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay 8th and 9th Streets. Citizens and employees should assist visually in hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, with that, I believe uh, we are waiting for the Commonwealth Attorney's Office representative as well. So, Chief Durham, if you would. We'll start with the Department of Police and then uh, proceed uh, to the Department of Fire and Emergency Services, Department of Emergency Communications, and then the Richmond Sheriff's Office. Good morning. Good morning, Vice President Newbill, members of the council. I am Alfred Durham, Chief of Police of the Richmond Police Department. I would like to start off by thanking Mayor LeVar Stoney and you, members of this council, for funding in our fiscal year 2018 all 750 sworn positions within the RPD. While we are not up to full staffing, we are able to make tremendous strides in the way that we provide public safety services to the residents business owners and visitors to our great city. As you all know, we have experienced a reduction, I'm sorry, we experienced a reduction in violent crime in calendar year 2017. However, we have continued, continued to face a myriad of challenges when it comes to gun violence in our city. Last year, we experienced an increase in murders and persons being shot. As of today, we are experiencing a 10% decrease in violent crime. During this year's budget preparation meetings with the administration, it was made clear to all of us in the administration that we have the autonomy to decide what the budget should be for our agencies. I had to make some tough decisions. With the balanced budget that the mayor has proposed, I am certain that we can continue to address the violent crime and continue to enhance our relationship building with all segments within our communities. I will now start my presentation on the budget. For fiscal year 18, the most significant increase comes in the form of our personnel costs, which includes a $2,895,656 for step plans and compression funding. This increase is exclusively for personnel, which includes funding of $2.7 million for the step plan and $276,000 for four FTEs for law enforcement services in our public housing communities. 
the four FTEs for the public housing, they will augment, um, in case you recall, for the last couple of years I, I was stating as I would increase personnel through graduating classes through the academy that I, assign, I would assign two officers to each public housing communities. I was able to achieve that goal by having officers assigned to Gilpin Court, Mosby Court, Wickham, Wickham Court, and Creighton Court. These four new positions here will allow me to put officers in the remaining two public housing community, which is the Hillside community and the Fairfield community. The monies for the five new community outreach coordinators, this is something new that we wanted to add to our staff. A lot of things that we do are utilizing sworn personnel to engage our communities. As you all know, in some of our communities, we have our challenges. Folks just don't like the police. I think by having citizens that we can hire from various communities in all four precincts of the city will strengthen our ability or enhance our ability to strengthen our relationships with those people that we serve in our communities. Again, this talks about the four uh, officers that would be assigned to our public housing, uh, four FTEs for a total of $276,108 for fiscal year 19. This here is for the four positions, civilian positions for the outreach coordinators, one assigned to each, each police precinct and a supervisor to manage those um, human resources. In 2019, I'm sorry, fiscal year 2020, the mayor has proposed to increase the starting salary um, for those individuals um, seeking to become police officers with the Richmond Police Department. We'll be going from 41 to 43,000. That's a $2,000 increase for starting salaries. That's $1.6 million that's been included in the mayor's budget. And this is the special fund balance here. Uh, one thing I just would like to cautious, uh, uh, caution, a word of caution, if you will, uh, we are seeing significant uh, conversations across the country with chiefs of police in, um, when it comes to the federal funding, grant funding from DOJ and those folks up in Washington, D.C. There has been letter writing campaigns um, through various entities, the International Association, Association of Chiefs of Police, Police Executive, for, Police Executive Research Forum, and the Virginia here, locally, the Virginia Association of Chiefs of Police, asking them to not decrease funding. Uh, again, while these are guesstimates, if you will, of the monies that we're looking to receive, I would just caution you that these may not be actual costs um, at the end of the day once we get the grants um, from D.C. Department of Justice. And with that, I'll answer any questions that you all may have. Thank you, Chief. You're welcome. Council members, are there questions? Mr. Adelesto. Thank you, Chief. Um, morning, one, one general question that I have is based on how the budget has been presented for the police department. Um, the current budget for FY18 had a number of programs outlined, and it looks like there's been a considerable con consolidation of programs. Can you please explain uh, how we should interpret this new budget? Yes, sir. Um, last year, um, you all passed ordinance number 2017-120. 
And that was breaking down everything, especially when it came to personnel calls um, and call centers. The police department last year, we had six call centers. What that ordinance uh, directed us to do was that anytime monies could be moved, we would have to come before ordinance, I'm sorry, before the council and get an ordinance passed, if you were permission, to move those personnel, if you will, or those monies associated with the personnel to another call center. What we decided to do um, for efficiency um, and management of the funding was to just create two call centers, one call for, titled operations and the other was administration. On the operations side, it was just dealing with all sworn personnels. Unlike other different agencies, with, at that time when we had six call centers, that means that if I was to promote, do a promotion, if you will, somebody from uh, patrol services to administration, ser administrative services or even support services, I would have to get permission because that money was tied to that individual, to that call center. Now, because we broke it down into two operations, meaning sworn personnel and administration, dealing with civilian personnel, it will be easy for me to manage my resource in the department by moving them quicker than having to go through a process where I had to get permission from you all. So basically, it's just putting monies in two separate pots, in two separate pots now instead of six. I appreciate the explanation. I guess I see it that way, too. But have you had to, in this current budget, and now that we're April 2nd, have you had to come back to the council to realign your budget based on the current program assignments? No. Okay, so um, it, ha one of the has it I'm sorry, so it hasn't caused a problem in the current fiscal year. So if it hasn't been a problem, why, why now try to change it when the council had set a directive for the current fiscal year? This just kind of seems to be going counter to how the council sought to approve its budget. And if it hasn't caused a problem... Well, it... Yes, sir. It did cause a problem, um, I was just re, uh, reminded, when we had to move the recruits. Again, when the recruits come in, they're assigned to administration, administrative services, and before we could move them to patrol, we had to come through uh, this council to um, make that request to move them from the academy over to their assignments in patrol. Again, trying to be efficient, uh, managing my money, the budget that's been approved by council to me, I think it's only smarter the way that we do this now doesn't create any more work for you all, creates less work for us, sir. And just to clarify, though, with the recruit situation, that was an anticipated move. So the timeline of introducing the ordinance and, and the explanation for it seems fairly straightforward. It wouldn't cause any hardship. Um, and I think it's something that both the administration and the council would obviously work collectively to address that. I'm just... I'm trying to understand if this is – maybe maybe I'm just the one hung up on it, but it does seem to me that the council put in a programmatic budget to get a little bit more detailed oversight as to how departments were spending the funds, and this goes against that oversight. Uh, the, and it just, for whatever reason, it didn't – it just seems to be a slight – and I'm, I'm not trying to make it confrontational, but it does appear that there hasn't been a hardship. It seemed to be working, but you all are trying to rework it, and, and maybe my colleagues don't see that as a problem, but I do know that we put programmatic budgeting in uh, deliberately, and it doesn't seem to have had any 
adverse effect. Mr. Brown. Good morning, Jay Brown, Director of Budget and Strategic Planning. Um, I see your points, um, Councilman Hajalasto, um, but if I may remind the council that um, this was a zero-based budget and the police department, just like all of the other agencies, um, was certainly allowed to um, build their budget up from scratch as they um, saw fit. So um, in addition to the comments that the chief made, they did um, present a zero-based budget. Okay. Ms. Trammell, did you have a question? Okay, you finished? Yes. Good morning, Chief. How are you doing? Good morning, ma'am. Chief, I have a few questions. Well, first of all, um, as a council person, I asked for the original budget submission documents by the police department. Um, you were not able to provide that to me? I'm sorry. Okay, as a council person, I asked for the original budget submission documents by the police department. But I was not, I did not get them. Jay, can you help me out? Good morning, Councilwoman Trammell. Um, if I may, um, the mayor did present a balanced budget to city council. Um, that budget was what was required by the city code and city charter. Um, those requests um, were deemed as the mayor's working papers. Okay. I understand that it's the mayor's budget, but does he understand it's our budget now and, and we are looking at the budget and we're the ones that adopt the budget? or reject the budget. So how come I could not get those working papers? And if, if I may, um, the budget that you have in front of you um, is balanced, and that was the final budget that was um, balanced and presented to the city council. Well, how come taxpayers in the city are asking that question to me? And so I wanted to get, I wanted to have them, or at least be, at least us be shared nine members of council be shared with, with those working papers. I mean, to me, that should be, I think the mayor campaigned on open government transparency, and to me, this is not. If I can't, if I've asked for something, and my staff, Megan, am I correct, I asked you to help me get that? Yes, Mr. Chairman, you uh, requested the information, and I followed up with um, the budget department, and um, mm -hmm. As Jay indicated, they provided us with the response that they would not be providing that. But yes, you did request it, and I did, um, I did make that request of the administration. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I did make that request of the administration on your behalf, yes. Ms. Trammell, <clears throat> excuse me, um, just a point of clarification. You're asking for the draft working papers mm -hmm, that, that police submitted to the mayor in order to be able to prepare their budget? Uh, I'm, I'm, so let me be clear. The original, like, what got cut or what, what did they present to the mayor? And, and how did that get cut? Or how, do, how was it, how, how was the money moved so that we could have the balanced budget from the mayor? And Ms. Coffey-Glenn, if you yes. would. Yes, Selena Coffey-Glenn, CEO for the city of Richmond. And certainly, uh, Councilwoman Travel, the answer is clear. The mayor submitted a budget to city council, and he's not submitting his working papers as per the request. He did submit those papers? He is not. He you is have not. The, you have the balanced budget per code. He submitted that. He's not submitting his working papers. And we Thank council you. members can't. I'm sorry, what? We no, as council members are not allowed to have that? 
So, Ms. Trammell, let me just be clear. What we have before us is actually the budget for police uh, coming, from, as you know, coming from the mayor. Is there something in particular that you are wanting to um, look at, have concerns about? As a council person, I, I requested that. Why couldn't we had looked at that? I mean, not all, none of us, if we didn't want to see it, but I had requested to look at it. Okay. I mean, like I just said, the mayor campaigned on open government, more transparency, working with all nine members of council. Right. And this is the only, and I didn't, I mean, these are, this is, this come from a few citizens that asked me this question. Okay. Taxpayers uh, in the city of Richmond. Thank you. I, I'm. I know I Mr. Can't Jackson, it. I'm going to ask you to opine. It appears that we have before us the budget from the mayor. I'm not sure uh, in terms of draft documents um, preparatory. So if you would chime in here. Well, the, the, the administration clearly is correct. That they do have legal obligation to produce a balanced budget and deliver that to you, and they have done that. Whether the... Uh, what they're saying is that the underlying background information is deemed to be working papers of the mayor. Uh, there is an exemption from the Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act for working papers. Um, whether it applies in this case is something I would have to uh, get more information about. It's a very narrow exception. It could apply, it may not apply, but without more information uh, and discussion with the administration, I, I can't give you an opinion whether it would apply right now. Thank you. Uh, well, Alan, Ms. Trammell, um, at this point, since Mr. Jackson needs more time to take a look at that, if he would look and get back to us and if we can go to your next question or questions. I have a few questions, but okay. Okay, what I'm trying to say, I'm just asking. Um, what did the chief ask for with those original papers? That's what I'm asking. And it's not the chief's fault that I'm not getting this. It's the mayor, not the chief, or the CAO. It's not the chief's fault. But, Alan, you'll get me that question, please? Or you yes, yes. you'll get back. I mean, the answers. Thank you. Thank okay, you. another thing. Um, chief, I know that you're getting ready to start another class of 22 um, in May, 22 police or cadets. And I hear that. I think you and I had a discussion about this before. They're going to sign a five-year contract. Okay, if, they, if they're not able to finish the five years, say it's medical or say they just say, hey, I can't do this anymore, I don't like this, um, or they have to move away for whatever reason, are they going to still be made to pay that money back? No, ma'am. Only if they resign from the position. If it's due to an injury incurred in the performance of duty, no. Um, so we started that with this next hiring class where they have to sign a, what they call an obligated service agreement, a contract, where they have to um, commit to five years of service with the Richmond Police Department. And then if they get fired, are they still held responsible for that? If yes. They, well, couldn't they turn around and say, hey, you had 22 cadets in that class. I feel like I did not get the special attention that I needed. Or I feel like I didn't get, maybe I was not up to par with some of the others, so I was kind of like left back, and I did not catch up, and so now you have the right to terminate me, and then to make me pay for the remaining years that I did not, that I didn't complete five years, is, how would you handle that situation? Well, you're throwing a situation that I have not experienced yet, um, and I don't want to 
say something that's contrary to what the contract said, the agreement says. But there has been no one since I've been the chief, and maybe uh, Major Smith can speak, where we have not provided everything that we could possibly do to ensure they, they, that they successfully complete the academy. For some people, they just can't cut it. And we rather cut our losses right there at the academy before they get on the street and become a liability to the city. So I can't answer that right now because we never experienced that. You, have you all? We've never experienced where somebody uh, has come back, ma'am, and stated that we have not done everything that we have during their time at the police academy to ensure that they successfully complete the program. So, Chief, so everybody that goes through the academy, they all of them graduate. You not had them had where well, you've had. I guess you don't say right then, "Hey, you're not cut out for this. Oh. You need to go." Yes, ma'am. We have some people who start uh, the academy, and two, three days later, they resign. We're not holding them accountable. Mostly, it's talking about upon successful completion of the academy, ma'am. And can I get that? Can I get a copy of all that? Yes. Thank you. And then um, over here, Chief, on page 128, page in the, in the big budget book. I don't have a book. Do you have it, Will? No. I don't have the book in front of me, but you want, I'll answer your question. Can, I'm sorry. I'm, I'll answer your question. If you can. Okay. Um, what I wanted, I wanted you to see what I was talking about because you tell me I'm in a big book right here. Five one twenty-eight. Thank you, Jay. She said one twenty-eight. Okay, ma'am. All right. Okay, Chief. It says um, you're going to have 750 sworn police officers, and you're going to reduce the violent overall violent crime in the city of Richmond by 10 percent. That so you're talking about the year 2018, 2019. In 2019, if I'm reading correctly, ma'am, in 2019 we said a 9 percent decrease, and in 2010 a 10 percent decrease. Okay. In violent crime. In violent crime. Okay, and then um, come down to the next thing where we're talking about um, to invest in te technology that enables the police department, Richmond Police Department personnel to work with the new um, ways of, it's got like body cameras, it's got like handheld mobile devices, it's got um, the gunshot detection system and the red light photo enforcement what about other traffic um, enforcements? Well, right now, we can only deploy those um, technologies, if you will, that's approved by the General Assembly. And photo enforcement is the only one when it comes to uh, photo enforcement, if you will, dealing with traffic issues. Red light is the only thing that's on the code that we can deploy, ma'am. So what about like, like, like the radar and, and police and, and all of that running radar? Oh, yeah, yeah, we can, we're still doing that. We're just talking about the technology, technology outside of what we already have in place. Okay, and I'd like to, if I can, I'll, I'll call you and get some more information on that one, too. Cause yes, Because that's the General Assembly. Okay, and then on page hey, 130. I didn't hear, do you have another question? I did hear, Ms. Trammell. I'm sorry. Did you have additional questions? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. And then, um, Chief, on page 130. 
Okay, why has the CAPS program been reduced from 238,000 to 136,000? We need more CAPS enforcements in the city of Richmond, not only in the 8th District. Repeat that question again, ma'am. Okay, why has CAPS program been reduced from 238,000 to 136,000? It's um, on page 130. Okay, that, that's, that line item is also associated with the realignment of personnel, ma'am. I'm sorry, what? The realignment of personnel. Personnel costs is, is in that line item. Okay, so in other words, that right there would have been the working papers for the mayor to look at where I don't have the, I'm not, I don't have that privilege to look at that because now you just told me it's like new personnel. Is that right, Chief? Well, I can, um, if you have questions and you provide, I'll, I'll give you a response if you submit those questions, ma'am. Okay, thank you. And then. Okay, Chief, on page 131, and that's what I was trying to get with, with the traffic enforcement. Mm-hmm. Okay, that looks like for the year 2019, it's only 90,000. It's gone. Personnel also, ma'am. When we talked about earlier, when I talked about earlier moving from operations, those are mostly salaries associated with the personnel and traffic enforcement. Okay, so all this was in your working papers that was submitted to the mayor, right? Not necessarily. Again, we started with a zero balance based budget, so there's really no paper other than what we started working from a zero balance based budget. You had a zero balance? That's what you are required. Um, of the administration when we start doing budget to start what we call a zero-based budget um, profile. I Meaning you start from zero and build your uh, budget up. All right, Chief, I have a couple other questions, but I'll call you and ask you. Thank you so much. Thank You're you. welcome, ma'am. And Ms. Trammell, if you want to get those to our staff to get to Chief or whatever is easier uh, so you can get the answers, you can do that as well. Okay. I know that Megan and I spoke all day Saturday, and she helped me with a lot. Okay. So she has some of the other questions that she was going to look into, so she'll okay. share that with my colleagues. Yeah, and she can work with Chief and you to get those Thank responses. You. Ms. Gray? So I know you've been asked this multiple times about the comparative analysis between Richmond and other comparable localities and why we are so much higher per capita. And I'm wondering, with the budget formatted the way it is, it's very difficult to see exactly where we're spending and where the bulk of this funding is higher versus the other localities. So do you have a way to break this down for me so that I can look at apples to apples in this budget compared to other localities? And I'm talking about the report that the Internal, the auditor at the state does when they compare localities to other localities and, and specific departments and functions. So can I be clear, Ms. Gray, you're asking for a comparative analysis between what we have in the RPD budget and now, surrounding localities for major categories so I'm, they can be clear because I don't think we have that. I'm referencing the document that already exists. It's, mm -hmm. it's produced at the state auditor level and it compares our locality to other localities within Virginia. And our police spending is significantly higher 
And and I think the answer was that we, you know, I don't know, I can't recall what the answer was, but without seeing a breakdown in the budget, it's really hard to understand where our spending is higher versus those other localities. Yes, ma'am. I will, uh, again, uh, Jay, uh, Mr. Brown has just informed me. Any questions that you have, if you permit it, submit it in writing, and we'll get the response back to you. So there's no easy answer to why we're spending so much more than, say, a Newport News or... I don't know. The, no, I can't answer that right now because I haven't seen their numbers, ma'am, so I can't speculate on why Are you familiar with this report that comes out every year from the Yes, state? I am. Okay. Yes, ma'am. All right. Um, Good. I have a, another question. Okay, um, but let's get closure there so staff will follow up with the chief to get that information back relative to that item. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Next question. Yeah. Um, my question, and um, thank you for having Captain Blackwell and other um, lieutenants attend my district meeting. I learned at my district meeting on Thursday last week that the cameras that are the particular camera that was referenced in a particular attempted armed robbery is not working in my neighborhood. And this is a very outdated still shot camera that hasn't worked since January. And we had an attempted armed robbery where someone put a gun to my neighbor's back. Um, a lot of the crimes in the fan and other areas have been solved with all the camera footage. Is there a plan for us to make purchases of updated technology so that we can have the same level of eyes and protection within other neighborhoods? Yes, ma'am. Um, anyone knows who I've stood here four years now? And I've always been pushing for technology, technology, technology. We have deployed several cameras. And again, when we deploy cameras, ma'am, it's like I always say, um, if you recall, I tell folks, please call the police first before, or even if they call you, please have your constituents call the police. How we deploy technology, how we deploy our resources is based on information we receive in CAD. That's computer-aided dispatch. When you call 911, that information is captured. So again, when we talk about deploying resources and technology, it's based on the information that we have with calls for service based on certain crimes. So I can't stand here today and tell you if you will be getting, if there's a camera there, we should be updating it, ma'am, upgrading it, should I say. But I can't sit here and say, this. again, it's based on funding, availability of funding resource. But we have de probably deployed this fiscal year in 2018 probably about 30 cameras, ma'am. And it's, again, as you know, it's a cost associated with that. Uh, and I understand that. And I'd love to hear about what plan. I know you may not be able to get too specific with technology and security issues, but um, I was really disappointed that, number one, the victim who was very vocal at my meeting said that the police detective was unaware that there was even a camera there, and number two, that when they did locate the camera and check into it, it wasn't working. It hadn't worked since January, towards the end of January. So that's something that's of serious concern to me when, you know, that, that's a missed opportunity. And apparently the technology within that camera isn't a motion camera. It's a still shot camera. Well, I, I think I need to 
um, remind all of you, every camera that's in the city does not belong to the police department. One of the things that the CAO, Ms. Um, Cuffey Glenn, has tasked uh, Mr. Willoughby is talk about interoperability. We have a work group. There are a myriad cameras, be it public school cameras, city cameras, police cameras, that we're trying to put all that on a map, man. So it takes time, man. I'm talking about the yep. one that we talked about, you and I talked about, and you said you look at it on your mobile device. So I assumed it was a police camera. That's, that, that's a police one. I'm not sure. You just told me which one you were speaking of. Yes. Okay. We'll look into that. All right. So, so then uh, in follow-up, Chief, you'll get back with uh, Ms. Gray relative to that particular situation and where we are, upgrades, et cetera. Yes. Okay. Are there council members who have questions who have not asked a question at this point? Ms. Trammell. Thank you. Chief, I did have one more question because I'm going to um, – probably piggyback on this with the Commonwealth attorney when he gets here. I wanted to know the percentage of officers qualified to work radar for traffic enforcement. How do we compare with Chessville and Henrico and even Hanover? We'll have to submit that and we'll get you that response. I don't have that answer, ma'am. Okay, so I won't be able to ask him that either. Yes, ma'am. You'll get that back to... Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. And also, I want to say that your officers do an outstanding job um, in my district, and I really, really appreciate what they do. I mean, they're there 24-7. You can call them. Our captain, Mike, and I can't remember the other captain's name at first. I just, I just met her. Greer Gould. Hmm? Captain Greer Gould. Okay. And also, um, I forgot the captain at third. Who's the captain at third? Because I have three Gleason. captains. Gleason? Okay. Yes. But I know that when, we, when I email them or text them, they answer me, and they call the citizens back in my district, and they, they handle the complaints, the lieutenants, the um, sergeants, the men and women in, on the street, 24-7, they're there. So I want you to please let them know that my people recognize them for all the hard work that they do. And Thank you. And what you're doing, and your majors. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you. Um, Councilman Jones. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Madam Vice. Uh, Chief, just want to, uh, again, commend you on the job that you do. It's not easy to do what you do. Uh, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback uh, the police. And so I appreciate all that you do in light of that. Just a couple questions as it relates to uh, what the community outreach program is. You have 2.7 in the FY18 budget, and then um, that line item disappears in FY19 and FY20. And that's on page 130. Just trying to find out why it goes away in 19 and 20. And it's operable in FY18. Council member, uh, these are just the, what you're looking at is the sworn salaries associated with community outreach. Uh, that will be our community youth intervention services unit there, um, and that money, and that money uh, I think you were a little late. We were talking about uh, operations versus administration. We went from six call centers to two. Mm-hmm. One is operations, which is for all sworn personnel, and the administrative side, that's for all civilian personnel. So that's why that money has a zero um, balance for that fiscal, uh, fiscal year 19 and 20. But when you go over, if you go to page... 131, sir, you will see it's captured under, under, supports, under support services, youth, inter- yeah, youth intervention, support service, community youth. 
and that money was moved over there, if you see it on page 131. Mm-hmm. And so how does that tie into the community outreach coordinators and their role in functioning? Well, the community outreach coordinators, they're going to be assigned, they'll be supervised by that commanding officer, which is, it's going to be four outreach coordinators and a supervisor. They'll report directly to the captain in charge of community youth intervention services, but they will be assigned to each uh, one of the four precincts. Each precinct will have a community outreach coordinator. And what their role is, again, I was mentioning earlier, a lot of times we just can't, when we're in uniform out there trying to build those relationships, some folks just don't respect the uniform, council member. So we think by having those, uh, looking to hire folks from the community, if they meet the qualifications to hire, to be representative of the police department and their communities, to build, help, us, help us to build better bonds and relationships with folks in the community. Doesn't that go against the basic tenets of community policing, that, community, that the police are to build those relationships with the community? Well, sometimes, you know, you have to do different things. And one thing that we do is we're creative. you got to think outside the box sometimes. This is not unique to the Richmond Police Department. Other police departments across the country, especially when you're talking about organizing, scheduling community meetings, going out, and building those relationships. Sometimes when we want to go out in the community and get information, folks are not going to talk to a person in a uniform. But I think by having those civilians, who's, who's, most of them who hopefully will be from those communities, to establish those relationships. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, and, and I know my, my colleague uh, brought up the CAPS program, um, but I don't know if it was – well, it, you may have answered it. it. It just didn't register with me. Why the decrease in the CAPS program? Why the what? Why the decrease in the CAPS program? Because when I see the decrease, I think that, okay, we're not investing in CAPS or anything of that nature. Because on council, we put forth uh, a budget amendment to fund a CAPS program. And then we look in the budget and we see the decrease. Is there, I'm just trying to understand your rationale. And that's on page 130, which you already discussed with Councilwoman Trammell. I'm going to have to give you a response on that one. I don't have that answer for you right now. Okay. And Councilman Jones, you know that, uh, as you referenced, that council has uh, included and increases some funding for CAPS as well. So, okay. and, or and, and, propose. And, and, this is subsequent to the budget coming forward. Oh, I, I understand. I understand. I'm just trying to, you know, and, and I hope in this, in this dialogue um, that as, as, overburdening as we might appear on council. We don't ask for a lot. We, we really don't. Um, and, 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 and again, I don't know what former councils have, but I just know in my time here, we haven't made a lot of demands or ask uh, uh, of anyone. And so, you know, Madam Vice, your, your challenges, my challenges are, are, the, are the same. Basic core services, we get phone calls for trash, we get phone calls for uh, cans, we get calls for leaves, we get calls, you know, for code and zoning violations, and, you know, we're on the, the hook for clean and safe neighborhoods. Whether or not we do anything directly out of our offices to, you know, to, to meet those expectations, we're held accountable for that. And so this is my only attempt to have dialogue with the administration to share, you know, what we deal with on a daily basis. Okay. And, and it's, it's, it's not, 
It's not even in my liaison's job description. She is not 311, uh, but she acts as her own personal call center for all things 9th District. And so th- th- this is just um, what I will share throughout this budget process, Madam Vice, that the things we need to make sure that we have clean and safe neighborhoods help us meet those needs. And, and, and that, that's it. And so one, one, one last thing. Uh, but were how, you waiting for a response from the chief? Uh, I just want him to hear me. Oh, and just so you wanted to make, gotcha. Yeah, so just, okay. just, just a statement, just a statement. And, I, and I, I know the chief is doing a great job. I know that uh, uh, if there's anything he can do uh, to assist us, I know that he is open. And as uh, uh, Councilwoman Trammell said, your, your, your men and women out there, they are doing and they are doing an excellent job. I mean, they, they truly are. Um, again, I will call some of your, your folk. They'll be on vacation. And I'm shocked that they pick up and they're on a beach somewhere or they're in the mountains somewhere. And they'll still relay that call forward. And not that they should, but I, I just want you to know I appreciate that. And most citizens will never hear that. They don't hear those little things. Um, and so I just want you to know I appreciate it. How are we doing on body cams? Uh, we're, we're doing pretty good. Um, we're making our latest purchase this year, right? Yeah. And, and I we'll guess let me ask the, the question. Let me frame it in a question. Do all of our officers who uh, are in the field, do they have body cameras? We have about 475 deployed right now, sir. Um, not everyone in patrol. We're going to be making a purchase. We should be able to outfit every officer in fiscal year 19 in patrol with a body worn camera. In patrol. And so that you, you, you specified it that way for a reason. We're not. So for I'm sorry. That'll be 20. Fiscal year 20. I misspoke. How, how in, in light of everything that's going on, and I think I've said this before, it, it ensures the safety of the police officers, the city, and of those that, um, you know, that are encountering the police for whatever, for whatever reason. How do we get to the point where every person that is on the streets today or that is being deployed that has to go through roll call, how do we ensure that they have body cameras today and what would it take to make that happen? Well, um, I will have to go back and look at the numbers again, but we'll be, we'll, we put in a budget for this fiscal year was the, um, the maintenance costs um, and support for the cameras that we purchased in fiscal year 18. Uh, one of the things that um, I had shared with the administration and they know, and um, one of the challenges with infrastructure, technology infrastructure, uh, where it should take about 10 minutes tops to upload video, because in this fiscal year, we're looking to upgrade our IT systems. It takes time. Um, the more you put on the system, the more overload, the more work it's going to have to do. So, again, it's tough. We had to make those decisions. Um, I think camera, like you say, with all that's going on um, in the country, especially what we've seen just last couple of weeks with police shooting, I wish I could wear a body-worn camera. I mean, that's how important it is to me, and I'm pretty sure to each member of the council. But, again, it's dollars and cents and just making sure we have the infrastructure to support that. So, Chief, and follow-up then, um, could you provide staff with the information in terms of additional count, uh, cameras and any other infrastructure that would be necessary in response to Mr. Jones's right. inquiry? Right. And, Madam Vice, what I'm looking for is a number. Right. I'm is talking num- about the, the, the actual number. Need- cost. 
50 cameras or yeah. 100, and this is the cost. Yes. And when can I get that? As soon as the, okay. the information is submitted, we'll make sure you get it. Okay. Thank so you. So in this budget cycle, like this budget this cycle, week, yes. As soon as tonight, we see receive the questions, we're in, we'll respond appropriately. I'm messing with you, Chief. Thank Appreciate you. Chief. Thank you, sir. Miss <laughs> um, Trammell, last question. No, um, I have because I want to ask what Michael just said, Chief. You said there was 400. You got 475 body cameras right now, and you said that you're going to make sure that all police, I guess, and, and patrol would have the body cameras. So how many? That's what he's going to get back to us is the number he would then, need, the, and cost. the cost. of them, you'll let me know the cost of them, yes. too? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And then yes, he'll get one that. More, there was one more thing, Chief. With the CAPS program, what Michael just said, I want to know how many officers did you have in the CAPS program working with code enforcement with, um, I guess, John Walsh? Would you get that back to us, I'll Chief? Get that, yes. And the, any associated costs, any decreases that have been evidenced, because that's where the concern is coming. Okay. So with that, uh, you have the questions. Staff will follow up. You have some idea, and staff will follow up directly to you. If we could get that information as soon as possible, we would really appreciate it. I want to say uh, thank you. Yes. If I could say one more thing. So I, I, I'm not sure if I make myself clear. On the five community outreach coordinators, those <laughs> five positions, those are an increase in civilian staffing in the right. department, not to augment uh, or reduce sworn staffing, but an increase. That was, I think okay. that's, well, I, uh, yeah, that's certainly clear for me. Ms. Trammell, the last question. I need some more, I need some more, more information on that, on too. That. On, on that and how are they going to be selected? Um, do they have to go through some kind of training, academy, and how much will all that cost the taxpayers? And will they be like a sworn police officer? Will they testify in court and things like that? Chief, if you would um, provide specifics, any job descriptions, dollar amounts, all of the specificity necessary to be responsive, we'd appreciate it. So I want to say thank you for all that you, thank you for the presentation. Thank you for the extraordinary work that the men and women do every day in this city, not just in my district, not just in the district, all districts uh, throughout our city, um, whether it's community outreach, community engagement, community walks, community events, community activities, um, community meetings, midnight bath, on and on. Um, you are going above and beyond what is traditionally thought of as policing to really talk about engagement and involvement in community. I just want to say thank you. You're thank welcome. you to all of your officers um, on a daily basis and uh, look forward to our continued work together. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. The very next presentation, I see our Commonwealth attorney is in the back. And so we uh, just uh, skipped you. Yes, absolutely, sir. I'm sorry. Mr. Herring. Um. Good morning, Madam Chairwoman, uh, other members of council. Let me begin while my documents upload by apologizing for my delay. So I'm notorious for spring allergies. I stopped to get myself together, so I'm not standing here sniffling before you. It makes me late, and I delayed you. I apologize. No but problem. None whatsoever. Perfect. I think my Do you need any? You have water over there? Anything? That, that, I don't want to get things flowing. I'm just going. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Am I okay? 
right, I'll step back a bit, AJ. So I think my presentation should be relatively straightforward. As in years past, most of my increases, such as they are, appear in the personnel line uh, because that's primarily where my funds are or where our funds are. I do note um, Mr. Brown sent over some anticipated questions or points of curiosity that I will take up because I think that's probably going to be the most efficient use of our time. Whatever increases you see in our budget reflect anticipated changes for uh, the addition of one FTE right now, and that's in the form of a fraud prosecutor that the General Assembly uh, funded under a two-year grant program. And that person resides in the Richmond office but has the responsibility for working with the state police to investigate insurance fraud in the metro area. And then that person has the responsibility for investigating and then prosecuting those cases in either Richmond, Henrico, or Chesterfield. That's odd for a Richmond prosecutor to have jurisdiction uh, or privileges to prosecute in other jurisdictions. But I, when I say Richmond prosecutor, that's a bit of a misnomer. It's a grant-funded position housed in the Richmond CA's office. That position came online in the last session, and it was one of those uh, asks that was, was strongly recommended and it was one that we either took or lost. In other words, if Richmond didn't accept the fraud prosecutor position, the funding for it may have, may have dried up. And I think there was certainly a need for it. Because that funding or because that position came in after council had passed our budget, it showed up as an unbudgeted position but it did not cost the city any new or additional money because we received it by way of grant funds from the state through the compensation board. So for example, you'll see an increase. Uh, I see a question why council may want to know uh, why there's a net increase of 143,500 in fiscal year 19 and then 65,466 in fiscal year 20. That constitutes. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yes, ma'am. Madam President, what, what page are you on? Well, you know, it depends. I am on page one of staff questions. <laughs> that may not be page one of, of budget numbers. Ms. Trammell, it's the document that uh, Charles just handed out to us. Yes. So I figured I would sort of take things in reverse and address your questions because the budget is. My budget is, is, is relatively flat and straightforward, Councilwoman Trammell, but I can go back and walk through the numbers. I just thought they were self-explanatory. So don't, why don't we proceed with the questions, and then, um, Ms. Trammell, if there are any um, other items, we will have. Um... Madam President, I have, when, when he finishes, I do have some questions for the Commonwealth okay. um, Attorney. Okay. So again, that number is going to show the unanticipated addition of the fraud prosecutor that is actually state funded and then associated benefits with it. 
there's also a blip, if you will, because you've included, you, you funded or authorized funding for our case management system. That is going to happen, believe it or not. So this is not a year in which I'm standing up begging you to give me funding for case management. This week, if all goes as planned, we will have a, quote, mock go live, close quote, of case management. We won't be operational with case management, I think, realistically, until the fall, but the system is being installed in the month of April, which is a huge step forward for Richmond. As I've indicated to you in years past, I think we were the last major city in the Commonwealth to go with case management. So it's a long time coming. There are licensure fees associated with case management uh, on an annual basis. That's already been built into our budget, so I don't anticipate any uh, unexpected increases associated with it. So, uh, okay, one other thing. Your third question pertains to transfer of $128,000 from our general fund. I'm sorry. This is the bullet after your third question. We're transferring $128,000 from our general fund, our special revenue fund. We're putting it under the designation special revenue so that it can be used for uh, outreach purposes. So I've been around to see most of you to talk about our root cause analysis process. That is actually going to happen in late May. There are various stages to it, and I can go into as much detail as you'd like in this setting, or we can do it the way I prefer, which is come around and do one-on-ones because there we have source documents for you to look at, and we can discuss it. I'm going to ask that you would do the latter, okay. uh, and but give an overview just for. But you've said it'll be in late May, and yes, then ma you will be coming around. I'm assuming sometime April, yes, May, to each council person to meet to right. di more fully discuss. Right. So we okay. we are the first jurisdiction in the state to undertake root cause analysis using violent crime as the bad outcome. And we've already gathered what we call experiential data through 17 to 18 focus groups from around the city. That data is being collated and analyzed by VCU as we speak. And then we're going to present it in a uh, closed meeting first among stakeholders and then publicly 30 minutes or, or roughly 30 days later, the same data. Uh, the first of those meetings should happen at the end of May, the second toward the end of June, early July. The point of it, sort of responding to questions from Councilman Jones and Councilman Trammell, is to identify the things that caused the crime in the first place so that we're not over-relying on the chief's well-placed but limited efforts to correct crime after it's already happened, and thus the term root cause, or the phrase root cause. Uh, the $128,000 this year uh, will not likely all be spent, but we'll see, because most of it is gonna, is gonna fund speakers, facilities, uh, and materials for every meeting and the presentation. 
and that'll include bringing people in who have somewhat of a national footprint to talk about things associated with root cause analysis for crime in Richmond. And again, this should not be news to any of you because hopefully we've made the rounds and at least briefed each of you individually on it. So, Madam Chair, Madam Vice Chairwoman, I can do whatever you'd like. Uh, I'm trying to be respectful of your time. We can go through and walk, we can walk through columns of the numbers or I can take up your questions. But I think the numbers are pretty self-explanatory. Okay. I'd like to go to questions, council members, unless there's a particular item here. So, Ms. Gray? So, my question is around the case management system. Yes, ma'am. Is that system integrated with other city departments, schools, police, RBHA, or any of the human services aspect? And no. is there a way to do that if it isn't? The, I don't know whether there will be a way to do that, but the roughly two hundred and sixty thousand dollars that we're spending for our case management system would not buy something to do that. That is a sort of integrated platform that's aspirational for a city like Richmond, to be honest. I think it would have a seven-figure price tag and probably be a major budget item. I think that is the ideal. We'll be able to communicate with police largely by way of inputting or populating information into our system directly from police databases, but I don't think I'm absolutely positive it won't enjoy that sort of interconnectivity that you're talking about. And That's a great idea, though. Are there localities that we could aspire to model? And I understand privacy and other HIPAA rules and FERPA, but a lot of the issues that happen in the community are impacting multiple systems. And if... You know, I mean, it, in schools, it's as basic as when a child is getting off the bus. At the schools that are doing this, while they're, they've got staff greeting the children in the morning so they know when there's a problem before they even enter the building. So on a grander level, if there's a breakdown in a family and a crisis or things that are happening um, that could lead to an intervention you know, if they're already in your system, that would be information that I think would be helpful if shared early so that nets could be put in place so things don't just fall apart. So I, don't, I know that's a grand idea, and it would be very difficult and costly to probably implement something like that, but I think it's really helpful when when entities come together and they're able to help families and communities before things happen. A lot of things, you kind of, with your root cause analysis, you can almost predict when yes. a family's falling apart, so, and how that could lead to very negative community behavior. So I was just... There, to my knowledge, there's no jurisdiction in the state that has this, the interconnected dashboard that you're talking about. The most that I think we could realistically hope for in Richmond is a read-only dashboard so that 
a, a non-CA Commonwealth Attorney Agency might be able to access our data but not manipulate it and thus read only. The, and then we would, have to, we would have to identify a central repository to maintain that data, and it would have to be hack-proof. But I think it's a great idea. And it's something we've talked about in the city for years, the dashboard concept. We've just never actually done it. Mr. Herring, just building on Ms. Gray's um, inquiry, is that a conversation you could have with our IT folks um, who are trying to have this centralized um, opportunity across all the systems in the city to see to what extent we could, whether it's read-only or not, but that we are interfacing and really sharing information within the limitations. So that's something you could have follow-up conversation with an eye towards the aspiration. I know it's out there, but even short-term, what it is we can do. Yes, uh, ma'am. Because and I if think you could get that back uh, to us, that would be great. I think that would be ideal. If, if and when, no, when we get there, the cloud and things being housed in the cloud and right. all of that seems to be pretty imminent. So. Um, to the extent we can even get some preliminary communication and sharing of information, it would be great. I'm sorry I'm losing my voice here, but uh, I guess I'm... Yes, ma'am. I, I think I get the point. Okay. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, think Ms. Trammell was next. She hadn't had a chance, Mr. Agilesto, on this question, and then I'll come back to you. Thank you, Madam President. Um, Michael, on page 93... Page 93. Yes, ma'am. In the budget book. Oh, you, that's why you probably don't have it. Yes, ma'am. Because I just, I just got this, so I'm not, I did not have a chance to go over this this weekend. Okay. So this is what I've been going through all weekend. On page 93, I see the traffic filings are down almost 20%. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Is it less traffic enforcement, or is it better drivers? What, what's... What's the answer to that one? You're right. Uh, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know why, why the traffic filings are down. It, it could be that driving practices and patterns have changed and gotten better. It could be that, That's not true. as we've discussed in other settings, it could be that the police are reacting to what they see as um, a, a, a change degree of uh, receptivity to some of their charges in some of the district courts. Um, I, but I, I, will, I will say this, and I'm, I'm really glad you, you asked this question. On page 93, you see case numbers listed under a heading performance measures. That is not a good idea. You should never, in my opinion, connote criminal case numbers as a, uh, with, with the description performance measures because it suggests that our effectiveness is a function of the number of charges we place. So ethically, and for the record, I never measure our effectiveness on the number of cases in the courthouse or that are prosecuted. And maybe at some point there should be an asterisk in your budget book that reflects that. Okay. Okay. I also would like to have more information on that. And also, can you tell me how much revenue was brought in to the city as of last year from 
traffic from? Oh, no, ma'am. No, and, yeah. and, and to be honest, I don't track it. I don't. The reason I don't track it is because then it would appear that the outcome of cases in traffic court is driven by revenue. So, in other words, the prosecutors in our office don't pay any attention to the bottom line of collections for fines. Okay. Because a fine that's a part of a sentence or a part of a plea agreement should be a reflection of the facts of that case. It shouldn't be susceptible to suspicion that we're levying fines to increase revenue. But the city right now is hollering and screaming that we don't have enough money and we got to raise taxes. I would like, I would still like to know or find a way to, to track how many tickets or how much revenue is barred in. Also, isn't it true that on a, on the summons or whatever, the officer can mark for the city or the state where that money would go or? For some, for some infractions, that's correct. And if you, designated as a city charge at the risk of an oversimplification, then the money accrues to the city as opposed to a state code in which the money accrues to the state. So we're not tracking that at all? I don't. I, I would like, to, and I think that maybe I can have a conversation with the chief on that because I've just asked him earlier about the radar and about enforcement, how much, you know, how many people we have in traffic. Are they being trained in academy with traffic? I don't I don't know. That's some of the questions that Megan and I spoke about on Saturday. But if we can maybe – this is not against the charter or whatever that you can't do this, though, right? So if I were you, I would ask the question about revenue from the clerk of the traffic court. They keep that data. I don't think the chief tracks receipts from traffic enforcement, probably for the same reason that, that we don't, because it's going to appear – that our enforcement practices are part of an effort to make money. So, Ms. Trammell and uh, com uh, our Commonwealth Attorney staff can determine from whom we can get that information. And if you would, Miss um, Brown, I'm looking at you, I know you're typing, so that we can get that information, the exact amounts, um, whether city, state, et cetera, so that all of council members can have it, but especially for Ms. Trammell. Okay. Ms. Trammell, did you have I, an I was just taking, point? I was writing down what you just said. Okay, Ms. Thank Brown you. is going to be point to be in touch with the clerk, the court, and to get that information. And then, um, Michael, you might have already answered this. Um, I see there was no funding for an investigator in the year 2016, 2017, 2018. Why not? We have experimented with investigators, well, uh, two reasons. We were never able to hire the sort of person who could effectively function as an investigator. And instead, what we would do in, in, in certain years is ask the police department to deploy someone or to embed someone in the city to function as an investigator. So rather than going through that tortured exercise in the past few years. What we decided to do this year, Councilwoman, is focus our energy on outreach and goodwill and the root cause process. 
And my theory is this, that however much data an investigator might get us for any number of cases, we're going to quadruple that output or that yield if we do the root cause process to fidelity and then if we actually implement some changes in the way we go about law enforcement in the city as a result of root cause. The other thing is an investigator would not be able to go out into the community and build goodwill in the way that our outreach process is. But the person who is primarily in charge of the outreach, Iman Shabazz, I think you've met with me, uh, is actually making huge strides, in my opinion, in building that goodwill and bringing the information in. So we substituted outreach for investigator on the assumption that RPD would, would continue to give us all the services we need by way of an investigator. And I think that's, I, I really still think that's the right call. Okay. Okay, and then um, on page 94 in the budget book, you might have already, you might have already answered it, but I'm saying um, you had, what positions are vacant? What are the two additional positions being funded for FY19 budget? It's on page 94. Okay. What positions? This is total staffing. Oh, oh. It, well, my, our, uh, the person in our office who wears the two hats of HR and budget slash finance is probably more realistic than me about what our personnel needs are going to be as a result of case management and body cam footage. So you've read articles about other Commonwealth attorneys' offices expressing frustration with the change in the, in the work practices as a result of body-worn camera footage. And so far, I think our folks have been able to absorb it. When the department is um, at 100% capacity for body-worn camera footage, and when we are 100% operational for case management, it may be that we frankly need more bodies to move and manage and maintain the data. I tend to think that the data will make us, or the digital process will make us more efficient. I think what Ms. Harris explains to me very tactfully is that I'm delusional that as the, as the process becomes more integrated but more complicated and the in-court responsibilities of the staff remain constant, there will be an increased need for technically specialized personnel to do things associated with body-worn camera footage and digital case management. And so that's what those proposed FTEs would be. Okay. okay. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mr. Angelesto. Thank you, um, Ms. Newbill. Um, Mr. Herring, I appreciated the presentation. And I had a couple of questions I was going to ask, but you inspired a different question when you brought up the performance measures that are in the budget. Yes, sir. So does, does your department have any input 
into the crafting of the performance measures, or are these kind of just imposed on you without your participation? No, we do have input, and, and Mr. Brown was, was very accommodating of, this is not the first time he's heard my, me voice concern about that. I think, though, that you needed something. <laughs> and what I'd offered reflected policy aspiration that you see in the description of our programs, the, the narrative description of our programs. And I think Mr. Brown and his staff wanted to give you something numerical. And so that's why you have those case numbers. The, the, you know, the only, before you were on council, Mr. Agilesta, I used to give you all a book that would have conviction percentages for all of the different practice areas. And at the, the risk of offending anybody who was on council back then, I don't think any of you read that book. So we stopped doing... That would not be true, uh, yes, Mr. Ma'am. Commonwealth Attorney. Yes, ma'am. So we stopped doing the book. We can always reinstitute that process if you'd like. If you could share with me a prior example, I, I will certainly take a look at it and see if that's something that would be worthwhile going forward. Uh, but I appreciate the response. Um, and you might have heard the discussion with the police presentation about body cameras. Uh, and I know the issues that have gone on in Chesterfield County as it related to review of body cameras. And I remember the conversations in previous fiscal years as we did our budget and your need for staffing for body cameras. Are you feeling that you have sufficient resources both for the storage of the, the, the digital material as well as the review that is necessary given the volume that you currently are receiving from RPD? I think the arrangement we have with the vendor meets our needs by way of storage. I think because you have not cut my staff in the last two to three years, we have been able to absorb the increased numbers of body-worn camera footage. I mean, we all suffered contractions during the downturn from 08 to, to 12. But once we got through that, you left, you, you maintain uh, our personnel numbers. Um, I want to choose my words very carefully. On the point, point of body-worn camera footage, a comparison of a jurisdiction like Richmond to Chesterfield is apples and oranges. Because Chesterfield may have volumes of cases that generate body-worn camera footage associated with higher misdemeanor encounters on the street that require people to sit there and look at hours of body-worn footage for a misdemeanor. No jurisdiction in the metro area suffers the number of felony calls for violence that the city does. And that many of those calls don't yield the same sort of body-worn camera footage that a misdemeanor encounter does because we're getting there after the fact. And so we are more looking at the scene than we are looking at police interacting with suspects because, as you know, suspects don't remain on the scene after they do violent felonies. So it may... <laughs> we, we, we're not complaining, but our people are spending an inordinately greater amount of time looking at violent felony scene uh, data than they are mis viewing misdemeanor 
body-worn camp, uh, misdemeanor encounters captured on body-worn cameras. But if RPD at full staffing begins to do more enforcement of misdemeanors, then that's a different story is perhaps what I'm hearing you say. And I think that's what Ms. Harris was doing when she suggested the increase FTEs in FY19 and 20. Okay, great. Um, and then my final question, you had mentioned something about not necessarily tracking the, the fees. Um, and one of, and I know we're not going to have a presentation from the courts, um, who typically it's the clerk of courts that is responsible for assessing and, and collecting the fees and then finance departments uh, reporting on those. And I just know that in previous years looking, um, our fee structure for the courts, we're currently not recovering the absolute most that we could by mm -hmm. state code for things such as court security or for court technology or for court maintenance. And I just asked the question um, from your perspective, not that these are uh, fees that, that you would be collecting, but in the state of affairs with the city general fund, the state that it is, with limited dollars, would we be better to use our general fund money towards uh, prevention efforts and increase the fees that are assessed for those who ultimately end up in our court system uh, since they are technically the users of it so that we increase the fee and then divert general fund monies into more uh, support categories? That, that formula certainly has an appeal to it. But remember... There are other jurisdictions around the country that have not had good experiences funding its courts and meeting its infrastructure needs through fees associated with criminal cases. You think Ferguson, Missouri. And the point is not that Richmond would ever adopt the enforcement practices of a Ferguson, but if you, in essence, use the general district courts, the criminal courts, as a revenue stream, they then take on more of the nature of a tax than they do uh, deciding cases based on merit. In theory, Mr. Agilasto, I think the people who come through the courthouse ought to bear the responsibility for being in the courthouse. But in another setting, you might say to me, well, wait a minute, doesn't enforcement vary sometimes by zip code? Does not enforcement vary sometimes by policies over which the offenders have no control? So how do we ensure that this revenue, if you will, by way of fees, isn't tainted by something beyond the control of the people who come through the courthouse? That would be the, to me, the more substantive exchange around that point. Sure, and I, I only bring it up because currently <clears throat> the city assesses $5 per case for court security fee. Right. <clears throat> State code uh, authorizes up to $10, and a number of jurisdictions have simply said $10 per case simply isn't even enough for the, the security costs. And therefore, the general fund right. is subsidizing the court security cost 
rather than the general fund necessarily putting dollars in yeah. to Office of Community Wealth Building or Richmond Public Schools or social services or justice services and some of these other restorative programs that the city has been a leader in or your root cause analysis, yes. right? So it's for me, it's one of those of why not ask the user to pay more right. so that we can free up those unassigned dollars to to be maybe more preventative and support where where we might have uh, to address it in a different manner. But that's, that's quick, the only way I look at it. Very quickly, can I answer? Very quickly, yes. yes. If when, when you visit General District Court, most of the end users in that courtroom are, if not poor, then they're, they're marginally poor. So the idea that, that we're going to collect more money from people who come to general district court, to me, is flawed in its inception. If Richmond were a jurisdiction where the people who come through the general district court had means, generally, then it might make more sense to target greater fee collection from them. But all we'll be doing is racking up debt on offenders in the city that are generally poor. It'll be a bunch more uncollected debt. Because there's no way, I don't think, for the courts, for the clerk's office to, to identify a defendant who can pay and a, from a defendant who can't pay. You're going, to identify, you're going to end up applying the same enforcement practice citywide, and it's going to have a disproportionate impact on people who can't pay it and thus the increase uncollectible debt. Absolutely. I don't disagree, but, but from my perspective, you have a lot of court diversion programs to try to keep people out of court. You have a lot of, of safety net programs that we really are trying to, to change the process. And if somebody's going to be out there to conduct a crime and, and our police are going to have gone to the level of being able to have made arrests to bring them before a judge, at, at that point you have... I think that the the individual has been given quite a number of options to to address their condition, and maybe maybe it's my naivete to uh, how police are conducting their uh, programs, um, but it does seem to me that uh, if it, if we're going to be paying for court security versus paying for public education versus paying for other programs, it just seems to me to be kind of the back end and not being proactive, and I just don't think that that's necessarily the the best approach. But I hear I hear very much what you're saying. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Henry. Any other items of particular note for us relative to your presentation? No, ma'am. I I don't have anything else to say. I'll leave now in this low. want to say thank you for your work. Looking forward to the Root Cause Analysis Summit and the outcome yes. for our community. Um, with that, if there are any other questions, uh, staff will get those to you. And uh, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Apologize again for the delay. No apology necessary. Thank you so much. The next presentation, uh, Department of Fire and Emergency services.
morning, Chief. I think we're still in morning. Good morning, Welcome. Madam Vice President. Thank you. Good morning, uh, members of council. My name is Melvin Carter, I am, and I am your fire chief. To my immediate left is Deputy Chief Elman Taylor, who commonly likes to be referred to as Tony Taylor, and he is our uh, budget guy. His uh, direct report is Latanya Davenport, and she's our budget manager. And to her right is the emergency manager for the city of Richmond, Anthony McLean. <clears throat> Good morning again. And members of city council, as stated earlier, I'm Melvin Carter, your chief of fire. And I proudly represent the 434 men and women of our awesome organization, the Richmond Fire Department. Our motto is serving with the spirit of excellence, and our mission is to provide safe, effective, and efficient emergency and non-emergency services built on strong relationships and designed to produce high-quality results. During my presentation today, I will provide a brief overview of our organization, our 2018 accomplishments, the mayor's budget, present it at a high level, and stand to uh, answer your questions, if any. Overview. Our department is an all-hazards emergency services provider responsible for the delivery of many services to include Community emergency and disaster preparedness, primarily done through the Office of Emergency Management. Fire code enforcement, primarily accomplished through the fire marshal's office with the assistance of our fire companies around the city. Emergency fire response, emergency medical response, uh, health-related emergencies, such as a couple years ago, the Ebola scare. And uh, most recently, civil, civil emergencies throughout our city, which are occurring around our country. Uh, we provide technical water rescue in the James River technical rescue that pertains to high-angle uh, rescue using ropes and other devices. Hazardous materials incidents, particularly as uh, these things travel up and down our uh, interstate highways and streets. We also have a, a very focused effort on employee safety and the general public's overall safety. We uh, also are a training agency, training and developing our staff and the citizenry at large. Uh, we have a logistical support unit and a management of fiscal resources operating from 20 fire stations and three support facilities across the city of Richmond. Briefly, some of our uh, 2018 accomplishments, um, and I want to thank Mayor Stoney as well as the council for the $2.1 million to address salary compression in the FY18 period. Also, a big win for the city was an increase in our ISO rating to ISO 1. Um, this will and should help attract businesses that look to come to Richmond and want to make sure that uh, their fire department is appropriately uh, located around the city uh, using uh, the assistance from DEC on emergency communications and DPU as it relates to emergency communications and our ability to get water out of our fire hydrants reliably. So I think those also partnering agencies. We reduced our firefighting injuries. We recently hired a class of 22 recruits, of which six have already graduated from the academy are contributing to our overall success in our organization. You all provided our uniform personnel pay adjustments to address compression and stagnation and also to be competitive with the region. Our facility enhancement at Fire Stations 20, we implemented through emergency management the communications tool, Code Red. We've updated the City of Richmond's emergency operations plan. Uh, the fire department has also supported over 10 large-scale city events and incidents participated in five large-scale community outreach, outreach events, and we've hosted several community meetings at our fire stations, and council members that have done so, I sincerely appreciate the effort to partner with us. Uh, the Office of Emergency Management has supported five emergency operations center activations during uh, various storms and other civil events. 
and we put two new fire apparatus in service at Fire Station 14 and Fire Station 23. We've enhanced our special operations teams, and these teams have a much broad, a little bit more broader mission than, uh, than most of our fire companies. And we continue to partner with the Richmond Public School System and the fifth grade education program. This program is in its 37th year, and we've trained nearly 70,000 students, of which 2,000 are in the 2018 cycle. That said, I fully support the mayor's FY19 and 20 budget as presented. The mayor's proposed FY19 and 20 budget is a continuation of the support for and to our employees and the department and its mission in support of our citizens. Simply stated, this budget supports people and our core services to our citizens. At a high level, the mayor budget provides for step increases of sworn personnel, of which we say thank you. It also provides annual physicals for our firefighters, and through these annual physicals, we've had the opportunity to have early detection of cancer and other catastrophic uh, illnesses. It also provides for EMS supplies. It raises the minimum salary of the position of fire recruit to maintain competitiveness with our regional counterparts. It funds our replacement of protective clothing, the gear that you see, see us wear, which is at end of life, which is 10 years by national uh, gold standards, to the tune of $599,000, rounding, rounding it up $600,000. Operationally, it provides for an increased tools and equipment for our special operations mission and the technical rescue support companies. It funds our recruitment and upcoming promotional needs, assessment centers. It's proposed for both 19 and 20 and it funds our effort to market and promote fire safety in our communities. This concludes my overall presentation of the mayor's proposed FY20 budget, and I will now take your questions. Councilwoman Trammell. Uh, I have a question for you, but I'll ask you. I have a oh, question sure. for you, but I'll, I'll wait. Okay. I'll wait. Council members, are there questions for the chief and staff? Mr. Jones? Chief, appreciate all uh, that. Y'all do. You guys are doing a wonderful job, uh, especially how you have fought fires in the Ninth District and throughout the city. Just, just a couple, couple of questions, um, and just helping me to understand. Um, on page 122, you have a line item entitled logistics, and it has a pretty significant jump. Just trying to understand what that is, and uh, and I'll get all my questions out right now, Madam Vice. Um, and then, you know, with emergency medical services, that goes away in 2019 and 2020. And then fire operations, uh, there's also an increase in that, along with fire suppression, a huge jump in fire suppression in 2019 and 2020. So, yes, sir, starting with the first question, um, the logistics unit. Uh, when I left Richmond in 2014 and came back, we did not have a logistics unit that we have today. Uh, we basically excuse, had excuse the me. Chief, over here. I'm sorry. Can you just get a little closer to the mic? I'm having trouble hearing. Yes, ma'am. I can. Is that you. better? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, when I left the city in 2014, the city of Richmond, did, our fire department didn't have a standalone logistics unit the way that we have it today. It was in ESU. ESU in 2018 went away. Some of those bodies and the resources that were captured in ESU went to logistics. What's ESU? Uh, emergency Services Unit, yes, sir. And so those, some of those bodies, as well as the, the resources to include its budget, went to logistics. So logistics became the logical place to procure the needs, operational needs for the fire department. Thus, you see a jump in its budget 
if you will, for tools and equipment less than $5,000. The other questions you asked relates to suppression or operations also. And just real quick, where there's an increase, was there a decrease on the other side in ESU? Yes, sir. ESU went away. Okay. It was absorbed by the Office of the Fire Chief, and it was absorbed by administration. So to answer your question, sir, you had multiple questions in there. Yeah, you can keep on going. I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure. So, and the same is true for operations. Uh, You see the operations budget increase because we put personnel back into the roles that they were uh, organically aligned. For instance, we had personnel in the fire marshal's office that were really attached to operations. So, therefore, those bodies were placed back in the the organic location where they should have been all along. So, therefore, you see an increase in personnel costs in those areas. Okay. And then my last one was, and I'm sorry I threw them all out. Oh, that's okay. Fire suppression. Specifically, you see uh, it, it went from 14 million to 42 million in 2019, and um, <clears throat> most of that is in uh, personnel costs and fire suppression. Um, like I said, you have bodies that are going from fire training back to fire suppression operations. The fire marshal's office, ESU, as well as the uh, proposed step increases. Uh, that are attached to that section. That is the largest section within the fire department. That's where the men and women that operate all of our fire stations reside. So when I see fire suppression, that is FTEs, headcount, and all that? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Other council members? Councilwoman Trammell. Thank you, Madam President. Chief, I'm not going to um, leave you out because I asked the police chief the same question I'm going to ask you too. As a council person, I asked for the original budget submission documents um, when you handed them over to the mayor. I guess they were called the working papers or whatever. Yes, ma'am. So uh, I stand here as a reflection of the mayor's budget. Uh, the mayor's budget, uh, as, we, as we fed into the overall process as part of his working papers, and it's my understanding that those papers will not be released unless the mayor wants it so. But, it, again, that's not fair as a council person. And... None of us, I think that we should have had those, that information that I, as a council person, have requested, not from you or the police chief, and I'm also going to ask 911. But, you know, for him to be campaigning on more transparency and open government and all that, he should be able to share those working papers, and he needs to be here to answer my question as how come I, as a council person, cannot get that from him? Ms. Drammel? I'm sorry, I'm not going to get it. But anyway, um, Chief, okay. I'm I just ask- want to remind you that our, we've asked our city attorney to opine in that regard. I know, but I asked the chief, I asked the police chief, and I did oh, not I want him to think that I was picking on him this morning. Oh, I, so okay. I'm asking the fire chief. You're spreading chief. the love, as okay. they say. All right, Chief. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I need to ask you um, on page 121. Okay. Um, in 2017, it took you six minutes, 30 seconds. I guess 2018 is going to be six minutes, 30 seconds. And then in 2019, you're going to be able to reach the fire in four minutes and 56 seconds. And then in 2020, it's going to go back up to six minutes and 30 seconds. How can you, how can you justify uh, that? <clears throat> that can't be justified. First of all, I believe in 2020, it's a typo. I'm sorry. I, didn't I believe hear. 2020, the, the performance measures that you see there, six minutes and 30 seconds, is a typo. Uh, one of the positions that we have in the current budget is there to address helping us delineate between our uh, stated performance goals and, and what we're able to actually account for. So when you look at the FY 2020 target, six minutes and 30 seconds, I believe that is absolutely a typo. 
Because that, even as I read this, it makes no sense. Why would we fall back and services decrease rather than improve? Okay. Ms. Trammell, anything additional? They're talking. Wait a minute. I'm sorry, Chief, do you have something else? No, ma'am. Okay, then on page um, 122, the number of high-rise buildings in downtown and also just across the river in the Manchester area and also in my, in my area with the model tobacco, American tobacco, um, with these high-rise buildings, do you have the equipment and means to fight these fires and also do you have um, enough firefighters? Um, in, in terms of um, currently today, um, Madam Vice President, uh, if a fire occurs in the city of Richmond today, our men and women will mitigate it. Uh, and that's been proven historically, and that will be proven today using the equipment that we do have and the resources that we do have. Okay. So you're saying you do have the equipment to I'm fight? That, I'm saying that based on our operational resources today, we will mitigate that fire, be it a high-rise or a single-family dwelling or a multifamily dwelling. We will mitigate it using the resources that we have today. Okay, because I know many times Chesterfield and Himrichel have to come and help, per se, like... <clears throat> yes, and that, and that characterization is accurate. Occasionally, the uh, counties do come into the city. Um, that's part of an overall mutual aid agreement. And not only do they come into our city, but we as a partnering agency also go into the counties mm -hmm. to support their needs as well. Okay. All right. And then um, on page 123, um, no, we'll skip that. We'll go to 124. You might already ask this, answer this question. How many vacancies do you have and how many are unfunded? Um, we currently have right at uh, 20, Chief Taylor, maybe you can speak to that. 22. Right at 22 current vacancies, and uh, our, the recruits that we have will graduate in June, and we should have a delta of about 13 vacants because of just the normal attrition of our organization. Um, the FY, proposed FY uh, budgets, as you know, it's a zero-based budget, does account for providing for relief for those uh, vacancies. Okay, but you still, you're still going to have 13 vacancies, though. Which we will begin to recruit for uh, very shortly to fill those vacancies in the uh, next fiscal year. All right, I'll, I'll call you on that. And then they're getting a step increase, but they're not getting a career development. Is that true? Uh, yes, that is true. Okay. And um, on page 125... You got funding for public information relations going from 3000 to 180000 Yes, ma'am. That, that particular uh, line item is multifaceted. Uh, let me bring out my notes so I can give you a, a true... Um, so what, what, that, what that speaks to... Um, Madam Vice President, is our recruitment and promotions, our testing and assessment centers, and also it speaks to the marketing campaign, public safety marketing campaign, to help reduce uh, potential fires that may uh, occur in FY19. And so that's why you see an increase uptick in that, not so much for the marketing piece, but for uh, the recruitment and promotions, testing and assessment centers for promotion this year. But what, 
I didn't understand that last part. For what, Chief? What is it again? Testing. For so testing? when we begin to promote firefighters, uh, as, as people are leaving our organization and we have vacancies, we have to test and do a, a promotional process. And that's where the cost associated with making that happen is associated. And that's the bulk of that 180 that you see. Okay, because I guess what I was going to say that I know that the mayor has um, six people for his press secretary. Um, he's fully staffed in there, so, you know, it looks like if we're doing advertisement or whatever, we would, I mean, I know I can't, but you could probably use it um, for public relations. But that's not what that, that's not what that increase is going to. That's a portion of it. It's, it's a I'm portion sorry. of our recruitment for new hires. There's also a portion of promoting existing members of the workforce into lieutenant captains and battalion chief positions. And then the remainder of that is the process of marketing for, I guess marketing is an inappropriate word. I would say a PSA, a public safety message, is to inform our citizens of the dangers of fires and things that they can do to prevent them. All right. Chief, I'll, I'll, get, I'll talk to you about more information on that. Yes, ma'am. On 126, why are tele communication services increasing from 19,000 to 123,000? Yes, ma'am. Uh, with telecommunications, uh, we need to extend our Ethernet coverage at uh, fire stations that don't currently have it. Um, our training academy does not currently have it. And uh, there's also Ethernet coverage that needs to be extended in the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center, as well as the mobile command unit. Uh, we have mobile data computers, which are computers on our fire apparatus and our vehicles that we have to pay for those. And, uh, and DIT had previously uh, expense this rather than the fire department. So this big jump that you see is in part because the fire department is now taking on that fiscal responsibility. Right. And I'm going to need some more information on that too, please. Yes, ma'am. And also, what equipment on the same page, 126, what equipment less than 5000 are you purchasing that increased the fund from 546000 to almost a million dollars? And do you get state money? So the first part of that question is our turnout gear, which is roughly uh, $600,000. That is the gear that we wear in fires, and uh, we purchased that gear nearly 10 years ago. Uh, the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association, uh, is the gold standard for recommendations. They have said that the 10-year is the absolute life for that equipment. And so we are at that point, and so we need to purchase that gear now. Uh, the other delta within that, that cost center is the fact that uh, traditionally we have not had a replacement schedule for our tools and appliances and equipment, nor that we have a depreciation uh, schedule, if you will, to replace said items. And so what you're seeing now is a true effort to adjust to replace those items now, to replace the mandated items, if you will, and to have a schedule that addresses four purchases for that. All right. Do you get state money? Yes, we do. How Absolutely. much? Um, this year, I believe it's $680,000. $680,000? Yes. Which has a has have well-defined criteria on what it can be spent on. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. No, the 680000 has well-defined criteria on what it can be spent on. Okay. And okay. Um, Ms. I just want to say thank you for an awesome job that you do and, and thank the firefighters, the men and women, for all their hard work. And like I said, they're out here 24-7. And I know you and I met and had a conversation about how we can canvas the area. Absolutely. And I know that over the weekend, I went to a couple of houses yesterday, and 
I heard the they the alarm they were not home, but I heard the um, the smoke alarms. It was like beeping, so I know that they need that. Yes, but I'll, I'll give you those addresses too. Okay. But definitely, like I said, twenty one, twenty two. All I mean, every fire station that I go to, they're always so nice, and they're so good to the citizens, and they don't never fuss at them. So I just want you to know that we appreciate everything, and we appreciate the police and the fire working together with nine one one and with the sheriff's office. We appreciate Thanks. your support, and uh, I know my brothers and sisters in blue also appreciate your support too. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. And Anthony, oh. and also I want to thank Anthony McLean for all his hard work that he does and comes to our meetings. And I mean, he's just, we give him a, a plus. 100%. We love you, Anthony. Love you. Did you get everybody? Got everybody now. <laughs> I didn't know the lady's name, but I got Anthony. I, keep a, I didn't want to interrupt if there was. Okay, I think Miss Gray has a question. Thank you. Uh huh. I have. I have a few quick yes, questions. One, uh, you're maintaining a balance in your state equipment fund, so why are we using general fund dollars to make those equipment purchases and not that special fund? Councilwoman, I would say that fund is not a guaranteed fund. I think we should always, as a strategy, you should look to your general fund to make sure, particularly for public safety, critical needs, that the money is based there. Um, that fund that you're speaking of, I used to be the owner of that fund before I came back to Richmond. And that fund is based on five lines of insurance. It depends on how many people get insurance or how many people don't have insurance. It depends on your population. But it's not a guaranteed fund. Uh, the, the city, as you know, has a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that we are funding appropriately our agencies, particularly public safety. And while I agree that fund can be used, I would say that it be used only for times that we absolutely need to use it because we don't have it in our general fund. So if we don't demonstrate that we need to use it, that's, to me, the most threatening thing to that fund. So, I mean, if the, if the fund continuously carries a balance, and I know you oversaw that fund, but if you're continuing to carry a balance, and I would think if I were budgeting that that's not a fund that the locality particularly needed. They're able to handle it in their general fund. So spending it is typically the best way to ensure that you're going to continue to get funded on that, yes, on the ma'am. state level, local level, even with my children. I'm not going to give them money when they already have their allowance in their pocket. So um, not to diminish what we're doing here. I'm just saying Absolutely. the best way to demonstrate a need is to spend it down. So we do spend down that, that uh, amount of money, uh, but also strategically, uh, Richmond Fire Department, as well as other fire departments around the Commonwealth, as a strategy, uh, may try to let that fund build up to purchase large ticket items that the general fund will not support. So that, that has been the strategy of Richmond to a smaller degree. And it is the strategy of other fire departments to a much larger degree. Okay. Um, I know um, Ms. Trammell asked about the step pay went into play and then the pay for education, the, the increase for the education went, went out the window. Um, did that happen with the police and the fire departments? I, think, I cannot recall what that ordinance specifically said. And what what is there left to incentivize someone who's maybe at the top of their 
range. They've been here a while to, to further their education and to get more certifications. I, I believe, uh, Councilwoman Gray, that our industry is always evolving. And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we aren't doing as a public safety agency what we did then. Uh, the world is advancing, we are advancing, the threats are increasing, and therefore our members also have to make sure that their skill sets are matching the need of the day. And so uh, we, as the fire department, provide some of those classes, but it's also incumbent upon our members to make sure that they are training themselves pro professionally and personally developing themselves to lead this organization in the future and to make sure that they lead in a manner that supports the citizens' needs from a public safety standpoint. And I noticed there's a third-party um, promotional assessment done on both the part of yes. police and fire. Why is it necessary to engage a third party to do that function? I think third parties uh, has been proven to be a, a non-biased arbiter in terms of delivering promotional processes. There are fire departments that do use in-house processes. Um, they tend to be a little bit inexpensive, if you will. But in terms of the, the quality of the process, in terms of the ethics of the process, I believe a third party vendor uh, provides that better than using in-house resources. Have you considered, I know you, um, I don't know if you've had a meeting yet with the internal auditor. Have you considered any of those types of things being accessed through that function or? I have met with the auditor, um, but I, my meetings with the auditor have been about improving service delivery from uh, accountability of our personnel in terms of um, their daily activities. I know we say we do a lot of things, but are we truly doing those things we say that we're supposed to do? And so I've asked the auditor to come in and to provide an unbiased assessment of, uh, of what we say versus reality. Okay. And um, my final question is around the I know you said that the performance measures you don't believe are correct. I don't believe for 2020, the six minutes. No, I don't so is there a way that we can get updated Absolutely. numbers yes, on this? We're those. working on it. Matter of fact, we have a meeting tomorrow to, uh, to address that. So yes, ma'am. Okay. That was a, a compelling catch. And that's, that's all my questions for now. Thank I you. Do, I do want to again state that I'm still waiting for the entire comprehensive staffing and comp compensation study from okay. HR. We got a table and a few, um, again, a copy of the PowerPoint that was presented, but it's really hard to right. determine what's happening with the budget without having all the information. And we'll check today um, with the administration to see, well, f f let's, let's unbundle this first. Okay. I just um, I mean, I even with respect to that, the only reason I'm asking for that again is we're in April. I was told the end of March, and right. um, having okay. we're kind of asking questions without you. all the information in front so, of us. Mr. Brown, if this is going to be brief, because I want the chief to be able to conclude his remarks. Yes, ma'am. Um, I believe that information was sent on Thursday. Thursday of last week? Thursday of last week. The entire uh, document? The entire file. Okay. So, um, Ms. Gray, if you'll check, then if you don't have it, we'll just request that be sent again. So with that, Chief, um, any additional remarks? Okay. 
Um, <clears throat> Council, I thank you. I thank the mayor. And I thank you for your support today, tomorrow, and, and going forward. And I look forward to a robust interaction with you, uh, the constituents of your district. And uh, we hope that you'll come by and frequent our facilities and just have robust discussion on how we all can improve our service delivery to our citizens. Thank you. So I want to say thank you, and I want to echo Ms. Trammell's uh, comments uh, relative to the extraordinary uh, performance and work you do throughout our city and working in partnership with our police department. Just really want to say thank you to all of the men and women who serve um, under your leadership and for your leadership, uh, along with our chief, I think. He's still in the back there, police chief as well. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. With that, uh, council members, I know that it says uh, break, but uh, would prefer to forge ahead unless uh, we just must have a moment. Seeing none, the next presentation will be the Department of Emergency Communications. Welcome, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Okay. Good morning, everyone. I'm Stephen Willoughby, Director of Emergency Communications. The fiscal year 2019 budget is essentially flat for the Department of Emergency Communications with the current fiscal year of 2018. The FY19 budget will allow DEC to maintain its call processing goals, which exceed national standards, including answering 97% of our 911 calls in 10 seconds and dispatching 95% of all of our priority police and fire calls within 45 seconds. The FY19 budget includes funding to provide more public education and community outreach services from the department. The introduced budget provides security enhancements to the Emergency Communication Center, which is one of the city's most critical facilities. And the budget supports a new 911 training center that will open next winter. This 4,300-square-foot expansion to the existing building will allow more realistic scenario-based training and the ability to provide more continuing education opportunities to our employees and thereby further fortifying the department's ability to consistently provide excellent emergency communication services to the city of Richmond. The Department of Emergency Communications looks forward to the implementation of the Gallagher Job Classification and Compensation Study recommendations, which we believe will assist the department's efforts in employee recruitment and retention of employees. This concludes my presentation, and I appreciate council support of our budget. Well, thank you. That was uh, you. Hmm. So uh, you get the award for the briefest thus far. Uh, but what I would like to do is now go to council members to see if there are any questions. Ms. Trammell, did I see your hand raised? Um, can you come back? Sure. Thank Other you. council members with questions? Ms. Trammell, I think we're back to you. Thank you. I guess I'm the only one who has questions. All right. Um, Stephen, I'll just say the same thing to you and to the fire chief and the police chief. As a council person, I asked for the original budget submission documents, and I didn't get them. I asked that from the mayor. And it wasn't me asking, it was citizens, taxpayers in Richmond that asked me to ask the question. 
And I know that you're not going to provide that information to me because um, you can't, like the police chief and the fire chief can't. But our yes. city attorney is going to work on that to find out exactly what happened, since the mayor is not here to answer my question. Um, on page 117, It's increasing from 15 seconds to more than 18 seconds. Why did this go up? Uh, those are reflecting actuals from, oh, sorry, from 2018 to 2019. Um, the reason why that increased was um, achievable goals. Um, historically, as you see in fiscal year 17, the actual was 18. 15 seconds was an error in last year's budget proposal, uh, and so we're reflecting in 19 actual uh, national standards. Actually, these exceed national standards because 30 seconds is the national standard. So is that going to put the citizens in harm's way? This is reflecting what what we are actually doing. Right. I I want I need some information on that. Okay. Um, are the reductions in personnel service operating expense and staffing, 117 to 109, due to movement of current personnel in DIT? I mean, to DIT. That's so, on page 118. 118. And which line item are you at? Um, personnel services. Uh, this is not moving any personnel. This is uh, simply projecting the reality of a 96% of the positions that will be filled at any given time in FY19. So that's, that's not correct then, right? What, or is it just how the numbers have gotten moved? Or No positions have been moved. We, we have 117 positions in FY18, and we will have 117 in FY19. Okay, how many vacants, how many vacant unfunded positions do you have? Vacant un unfunded? I'm on um, page 119. I'm sorry. I'm on page 119. As far as vacant un unfunded, uh, there is constant churn in the communication center. Um, at any given time, we would only be staffed at 96%. Um, so... That being said, 96% um, would be th three positions that would not be funded at any given time. Now, in the event that we are able to, to get 100% staffing, and uh, that would be a miracle uh, that Richmond's achieved that no other 9-1 center has achieved of being able to receive 100%, get to 100% staffing on any consistent level throughout the fiscal year, uh, then as vacancies go, as, as, Vacancies go down, so does overtime, and so those overtime dollars would be utilized for personnel expenses. Okay, at the top it says um, personnel. The budget fund, the budget includes 100% funding for all field positions, limited funding for vacant positions, and it looks like it went down about three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's equivalent to, as you see on the spreadsheet, that's equivalent to three positions. I'm Free sorry. Communications just, officer positions. Okay, so you're so you're looking in this book, this thing right here that I just got. Is that what you're looking at? Or you, I don't. 
I'm looking in my book. Ma'am, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what you told me to look at. I'm looking at the spreadsheet that's that's up there, and it's reflecting that there are three three positions that were not funded. Okay. It's not your fault. I'm just, I'm, I'm, you might be in that book. I'm in this big budget book. I'm on page 119, and that's what I'm talking about. It looks like there was a reduction. Megan, I need you to help me on this because I know you're helping me, Sarah D. It says from 50,000 reduction for overtime. It's on page 119. Steve, I just want to make sure that you have what you need with those with the 911 because, as I said before, I truly did not realize how important in the past 10 years that 911 was to the city of Richmond because you all are the pyramid at the, at the top. It goes from you to police, fire, or from you to sheriff, and then police, and then fire because you're – you handle every 911 call that comes in, and if, and if somebody calls 911 and they can't get you, guess who gets the calls? These and then guess who, you, guess who, gets, guess who gets fussed at? Not understood. only me. The, okay. the FY19 fulfills the need of what we need in order to meet the, the, the high standards that we've established for the city of Richmond. So you will have enough personnel to meet the high standard, especially when I think you have the most – I believe you have – more calls of service than probably the surrounding counties. Is that true with 911? That is correct, yes. Okay, so, Mr. Willoughby, back to Ms. Trammell's initial question. You do have the resources necessary. Yes, ma'am. To be able to be responsive, and it sounds as if we're seldom, never at 100%, but about 96, was it? Right. What we're projecting is is, is 90, 96% staffing at any given time. Okay. Now, that may be 100 at some points, and that gotcha. may be 93 at other points. But okay. throughout the fiscal year, 96% staffing. I didn't want to call Ms. Gray, I'll come to you. I just want to make sure, Ms. Trammell, did you it have anything? It was just, one more, just okay. one more question. That was it. As far as the um, DIT, and, and with in, in your office or in, or in your facility, that's not going to be affected in any way by merging with any of our DIT or anything like that, because I know that there's the new radio system and all that coming on board. Uh, none of the staffing is impacted, and uh, DEC's Sorry. already been having conversations with, with DIT, and uh, as we look at FY19's budget and prioritizing the dollars is where, where they're needed to, as they impact DEC. So right now, okay. that none of that's going to be impacted. You're fine with it? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for the mm-hmm. job that you do and your employees. Like I said, um, it's gotten a lot better. I know that my citizens have said it's gotten a lot better. And I'm also going to try to every council meeting and every meeting I go to to tell the people not to hang up on 911, to stay on the phone until somebody answers, even if it says um, you're, on, you're getting a recording for them not to hang up. That's correct. All right, thank you. Thank you. Ms. Gray? So just, um, and this is a little bit off topic, but the failures in the phone system and the Internet, have those been addressed with the IT funding that was infused in yes, the, the 18 budget? The, the, those, the, the additional redundancy that's needed in the 911 Center are at the top of the list of the discussions we're having with the IT to prioritize that so that we do not have, so we have continued redundancy 
to the 911 center uh, on the IT network. So we currently haven't addressed the issue that came up in that report. The redundancy, the the backup systems that are required. We have multiple backup systems. I think the one you're talking about is the the redundancy for the internet connection. Is, yes. Is, is that it? Yeah. We're, we're we are we are working to establish that secondary internet connection. Okay. So, it, I mean, and I'm not picking on you. I'm just what's the holdup? Because we're a year later and we're still working on it. And I get that this happens in a lot of departments and. I just would like to know where the breakdowns are so that we can address those. Is it, is it a management issue? Is it a budgetary issue? Is it what is – when we fund things, I don't understand why it's taking so long. Is it procurement? Is it – where's the slowdown? A, a, a piece of it was is assessing exactly what we need to make sure that we were providing full redundancy and not creating uh, additional failures. And so uh, it's, it's critical that that, that that connection is secure um, So because there's sensitive traffic going over there and we're required by, by, by the feds in the state to, to have a certain level of security. Um, we also want to make sure that that is fully redundant. And fully redundant means that that it's not in the same manhole as the other, as, as the other, as the other internet connection, because then if the back hole pulls it up, it's going to pull up both pieces. Uh, so it's, it's, it's much more complicated than simply ordering another internet uh, line connection. But uh, that's at the top of the list for DEC, and based on my conversations with the, the DIT director, uh, that's towards the top of his list as well. And, and not to be picking at this, but... I would imagine that there are only maybe three providers that could do this and that they do it in other localities that have the same restrictions and requirements for security and redundancy. So I'm just... Well, and what you're saying is, is part of the challenge is there's only about three carriers that are doing this. And because there are only about three carriers, it's, it's difficult to find... I'm sorry. It's difficult to find that, that diversity. Uh, because it's the same, it's the same three carriers, and you would be surprised that other jurisdictions um, do not have, in many cases, do not have the level of redundancy that we already have in place in the city. Okay. okay. Um, and I, I, I would reiterate the the need to see the submitted budgets that were sent to the budget department, and and not characterize them as working papers if they were not within the hands of the mayor, if they're within departments and their communications, um, I would not characterize them as working papers. But I appreciate your candid responses. I'm concerned about the, the personnel reductions with the need for um, access to 911. So I would like to know what was originally there um, and what these personnel cuts might mean to the overall service delivery. But I understand your position, and I thank you for your hard work. Mr. Willoughby, thank you. Thank uh, you, ma'am. For uh, your presentation and certainly for the work that your department um, does and the service to the citizens of the city of Richmond. If there are additional questions, staff will reach out to you, but I think we have 
um, at least for the first round, I've gotten most of our answers. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next presentation, I see the sheriff coming forward. Sheriff Irving, good to see you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Madam Vice Chair and members of council. I am Antoinette Irving, the sheriff here in the city of Richmond. Um, and I'd just like to start off by saying that we appreciate all the other public safety uh, facilities and agencies working with us. It's been 90 days uh, working with the city, and we feel that we've come a long way and we are moving forward, and we just like to make sure that we uh, state that case of ahead of time, um, how much we appreciate um, council members have come over to our office and spoken with us about several things as to what our future looks like as well as what has happened in the past. So we, we're moving forward, um, and we want to make sure that everybody knows that we want to be a good partner uh, with all those aspects of the city. So we're working hard to make sure we accomplish those things by also making sure that we are doing the right things for the individuals here in our city of Richmond. Uh, we want to make sure that our citizens uh, that do happen to reside in our resident um, at the Justice Center are taken care of. We're responsible for their care, custody, um, and uh, safety. So we want to make sure that we're able to provide those tools for them and also make sure that they're able to reenter into our facility, I mean reenter into society um, as the best possible person that they can. And we feel that we have a major obligation to do that. Uh, we also want to make sure that the citizens that are not incarcerated, that they are also given our best possible service. We want to make sure that we can provide for the individuals um, in our communities to make sure that we send good citizens back out, and we want to make sure that we are able to do that by providing good customer service to all those individuals and ensure that family members grow um, as their individuals are incarcerated with us at the Justice Center. We provide services not only at the Justice Center, but we provide services um, at the courts, uh, court security to make sure that our citizens and our judges um, are safe while they're there, as well as uh, the service of process. We want to make sure that we're doing that with the highest amount of customer service and professionalism. So we want to make sure um, that we can do that. Uh, it's not just about the individuals that are at the Justice Center. It's about all the citizens here in the city of Richmond, and any of those individuals that interact with us or are infected by us and the job that we do in the city of Richmond. Um, the major thing that we want to talk about today is in our presentation, uh, you will see that uh, our jail management system, our personnel, uh, as well as our contracts and utilities are the things that uh, probably are of most interest to you all uh, with the city council. Uh, not having a whole lot to say, uh, just being in 90 days um, and trying to work with the budget that we have. We do feel that the budget um, is workable and that we can do our best job um, here in the city uh, with what we have and what's been proposed. Uh, and if there are any questions that you all have, uh, we'll be more than happy to answer those questions for you. Thank you, Sheriff. Uh, I think you have uh, tied with Mr. Willoughby in terms of presentation there. Um, <laughs> Council members, are there questions? Ms. Trammell. Thank you. Sheriff, I want to thank you for meeting with me and having um, speaking about some of the things that you're going to change and things like that at the jail. And also, I'm not going to leave, I'm not going to leave you out because I, 
I ask for the um, the original budget submission that you were get, that was given to the mayor, and I'm hearing it's not they're not the mayor's papers. They're not that's they do not belong to him. And I, as a council person, should have been able to get that information. But I'm not not mad at you, not mad at the chief, fire chief, or or Stephen because you all y'all you know you present it to him the way that that you that you know, because you know how to run the jail. The chief knows how to run the police department. The, the fire chief knows how to run the fire department. Steve knows how to run um, community 911. But anyway, I'm just, I'm just frustrated because I wanted to see it because I don't want, being chairperson of public safety, I don't want to see any of you all, you know, not have what you need or, or have to move money around because I, I think maybe you lost maybe a million dollars per se. Or yes, over a million dollars. Over a million dollars. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. I want I want Mr. to make sure that was on the record because I'm saying your budget has been reduced by over a million dollars. Um, is it? And one of the things, if I may, um, Councilwoman Trammell, is to state that uh, we're in a position that we have had 82 vacancies when we came in in January, and we reduced that amount. We're now at uh, 68 vacancies. And, and the problem that we see with um, the vacancies, it's not really a problem, but what we see with the vacancies, our vacancies is a, is a means for us to be able to pay for our shortages that we, or our challenges that we have. I don't like to use the word shortages because we can work with what we have and we want to make sure that we are using the city's dollars as best possibly we can. With that amount of vacancies, we don't feel that we're going to be able to hire that many people mm -hmm. in a six month or a year's time and we don't want to waste any money that the city has and we want to be able to make sure that within this six months we can use the monies that we have and in the next six months or the next year when we come back for the next budget that we'll have the dollars that we need. Um, wasteful spending, we can be using that, those funds um, in schools and other areas that we need to be using um, those funds for. So we don't want to ask for monies that we're not going to um, use because that's wasteful spending and we want to make sure that we can fill the positions when we're asking for the dollars. But we don't want to put ourselves in a position that we uh, are, are trying to hire individuals and we don't have the dollars as well. So with that million dollars, we can, we can manage what we have and still be able to provide um, the appropriate good service and quality uh, services to the citizens within the facility as well as the citizens in our communities. Thank you, Sheriff. Sure. Ms. Trammell, additional? I'm not finished. I'm just That's what I'm saying, additional okay, questions. thank you. I just want to say that um, I understand what you're saying. You know, you can, do, you, can do, you can do your job with less. But I don't want that to get out that next year they'll come back to you and say, well, guess what? You said you can do, you can do your job with less, so we're not going to fund you any more money. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I think you and I had that conversation, and that's what I'm afraid that might happen. And then with your vacancies or, like, say, we don't, want you, we don't want you to be in the paper or your deputies to be in the paper because another um, resident at, your, at the jail passed away because of, of whatever medical condition or, or some other thing that, that he or she was not given they could say, well, you didn't have enough staff or you were understaffed, but you didn't come to council and you didn't ask for what you really need. That's, that's all I'm saying. I don't want to see next year you come back and say, hey, we need, we need more this year because of, of different things. And then we come back and say, well, you didn't need it last year, so why do you need it now? And also, um, Sheriff, I'm going to ask you, um, 
Is the state funding you less money? Is the state funding us less money? Mm -hmm. The state funds us in accordance to the amount of staff that we have, as well as what our expenses um, can and cannot be within a year. Um, so right now we're still um, looking at 24% uh, from state, which is, which is a guide from us that we'll be able to ensure that this, the state will fund us in, in personnel with 15, uh, 15 million. Um, so that will help us in the, in the personnel area. Okay, because I was going to ask you, is the jail population going down? The jail population um, has gone down in the last month, but our average jail population has uh, been 968, um, 961, and 960, um, or 926 in this last month. Just going over the last three months, this is probably the lowest the population has been uh, in the last five or ten years for the city. Okay, and... I think on the same, on page 136, it looks like um, less money for employee training. You're getting less money for employee training? There was a request for less money with employee training. Again, we're working off a budget that was uh, prepared by the administration that's no longer here. Um, but we are looking at how it is that we can ensure that our individuals are properly trained and getting the most efficient training that they possibly can. And right now, a lot of that's coming from our vacancy savings since we have so many um, vacancies and we can actually prepare our staff without having to ask for an increase in training for this particular fiscal year. Okay, and then on page 137. You're reducing funding for legal counsel from 75000 to 2000 Can you repeat that for me? I'm sorry. Can you repeat your question? Oh, yes. It says, why are you reducing funding for legal counsel from 75000 to to 2000 It's at the top of page 137. Well, I don't have legal counsel for the sheriff's office. I'm sorry? We don't, we don't have legal counsel at this time. Tony Pham no longer works for the sheriff's office. I have it in my book. Yeah, that's why I went down because we no longer have that person that's employed that was making over seventy-five thousand. We're currently using Virginia Risk Management, which is a, a right that we have as a sheriff's office. So there's no need to hire somebody to work in that position. Right, that's, that's the reason, because he's no longer there. So we're not, we don't have a person in that particular position. Um, and in the positions that we have, we would start off with those individuals being um, our staff members, our sworn staff members, that can actually do some work in our facility. So you still need the $2,000, though, because being... It says you're still getting the 2000 Just in case we have some fees or paperwork or things that we may need to file, but other than that, we wouldn't need a salary or a person working in a particular position. But you didn't include that money in your budget. You did not. You did not because you didn't. You know you had that, right? Right. That's not in the budget. Okay. I need. I need that back, Charles. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Sheriff. Um, okay. Any. Okay. Um, your cost of your medical service. Same. It's on the same. Same page, Sheriff. Cost of the medical services should be cost, an income. Cost of medical service need one point five million more for FY nineteen. 
but not um, ahead, 6.9 and FY18. A, a part of the previous negotiation was a 3% three, three increase that was already a part of the system before we got there. And of course, medical, medical expenses will increase um, with the population as, as far as the needs of our residents. We have 60% of our residents that's um, receiving some type of treatment for HIV, and the other 22% will be receiving some type of treatment for um, uh, psychological or mental health issues. Okay, and then um, the other one's secure, secure detention. You feel that we can reduce this from 17 million to 16 million? And again, that's based on the amount of vacancies that we currently have um, in lieu of trying to waste this, the city's funding to ensure that we can properly use those funds um, to maximize our, our best efforts with our staff. And instead of having that, those monies um, sit out there, as Councilwoman Gray said earlier, if you're asking for funds and not using them, and, and they could have been used um, in a better place. I want to make sure that the jail is, is not going to be less secured. Yes, ma'am. But that's not going. That's not going to be the case. No, ma'am. I'm working very diligently to get as many folks in that they can work and, and do an efficient job and make sure that we can provide the best services to the city of Richmond and the citizens that come through our doors. Okay. And if you're reducing your on page 138, if you're reducing your full-time personnel costs from 19 million to 17, 17 million, how many positions are you cutting? We're not cutting any positions. We're just not able to fill those positions at this particular time. Uh, so there's no need in, again, spending the city's money or spending anybody's money um, on jobs that are not being filled. Okay. And That's then, our major goal is to make sure that we are efficient um, in serving the city with as much excellence as we possibly can. We don't want to be known as a city that wastes money when we have so many other um, impoverished areas within our city that could be using those funding. Okay. And then on page 139... It says, why are uniform and safety supplies for employees increasing from 56000 to 120000 if you have less time employees? Well, basically, um, in, when getting to the sheriff's office in January, our staff bought their own uniforms and their own equipment. We feel it's our responsibility if we want to look professional to ensure that everybody looks professional when they walk through the doors or when we're um, in the community instead of everybody going out buying whatever they want different colors different styles and all those things so we know that we have to increase our, our attitude and our aptitude in order to be able to provide the best possible service to the citizens of this city it starts with presentation okay and and everybody because the word is out you're going to change the uniforms that's not true change the uniforms Uniform. we, we are changing uniforms to look professional but what I mean, you see today not, is, is what we have. I'm sorry. What, what you see today is what we're wearing. I'm not in a white shirt. They're not in white shirts. We want to look the same. We're a team that's working together to make sure we can provide services. We are ch changing some of the looks of our uniforms to make sure that we're more professional. We're not taking anything from anyone. Again, we're saying that we're, we're purchasing uniforms for our staff to ensure that we all look alike. Um, we don't want to be placed in a position where people can buy their own uniforms and they don't have to return them because we don't know how many they have. And then if they go out and commit a crime or do a egregious act within the community, then we have to answer for that. We, not only us, but you as, as a city, also has to answer for the actions of, of the individuals that are walking around with uniforms that we can't account for. Thank you, because okay. I was going to ask you how come you're not in a white shirt. So thank you, Sheriff. 
And then one more question. Why are meal supplies up $170,000? That's on that's on the same page, 139. Can you repeat that? What kind of supplies? Um, dietary supplies. I guess it would be meals, food. Oh, food, food contract? I'm sorry. That's basically our food contract, which will increase. Again, food um, increases. We've gone from uh, 1.2 cent, I mean, dollars to... 14. To the, the 1.4. Um, it's just an increase in, in the meals for our, um, our residents. And what we want to do is have a, a more heart-healthy wellness diet for individuals so that we can reduce the amount of uh, medical consequences that can come about when they're not eating or they're eating something that's not agreeing with them. We want to make sure that the individuals um, are fed right um, and are taken care of where they're eating, which will reduce the amount of illnesses and sicknesses that they can have. All right, Sheriff, because I, and I'm not picking on you at all. I'm not no problem. You I don't think you just got here. But I'm just saying that if, if the population is going down and the food supply is going up, is that would be because you want to make sure that they are, as you just said, make sure they, they're fed better, make sure that they're getting more nutrition in them. That kind, because I know that when you feed, when you feed people vegetables and, and, and things and fruit and things like that, it goes. It's more expensive in size. Giving them a can of potted meat or something like that. Well, there's also an increase in the contract, which was already agreed upon prior to us um, coming in January. Um, but that contract also deals with how to make sure that we are providing more sustainable meals um, and healthier meals for individuals. Um, we're, we all know that um, we have food deserts here in the city of Richmond, and we don't want to be that food desert and sending someone back and forth to the hospital because then our expenses, as you may know, will also go up in our medical contract or we may have a possibility of more deaths if we're not making sure that people are healthy. All right, thank you. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you thank for you. what you thank do. You. You're doing a great job. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate it. Other okay. Um, Ms. Larson, and then I'll come back to the other side. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I have sort of a process question somewhat related to the budget, but when we have an issue in the city and it gets to the point where somebody needs to be served with legal papers on behalf of the city, um, it seems like sometimes it's served through your office and sometimes through RPD. No? Is it Not always served? It. Uh, okay. it may be a private process server which someone can pay to have process served to make sure that they get the actual individual. Um, what we would do is actually serve a resident or a business. A lot of times we like to make sure that at a business we actually serve that person um, for, for dignity and respect as well. But as a private process server, they're paid more, they have more time, and they can actually pinpoint individuals. Um, the police department would service uh, criminal paperwork, mm -hmm. um, as we often sometimes do as well. But when you're doing it on behalf of the city, for example, I've had um, residents that have had code violations that have gotten to the point of they need to be served. Then you the all code violations are served through um, code enforcement. Right, but when it gets to the court point and they need to be served the legal papers, are you following me? I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> okay. I've done this, so I'm trying to figure out where you, you're going with the... the so, so my whole point is I have had several instances, and I don't know if other council members have had this too, where somebody needs to be served with papers, 
and it goes through um, the Doug Murrow. You know, he's our point of contact, and he says, I can't figure out if it's either RPD or the sheriff's office or both of them do this service on behalf of the city. But then they have trouble. It, it, it sits there for months. A lot of times they have trouble finding it. And I'm just wondering why and are we utilizing all the data we have? Do we all have access to the same information? Because there's been times, and maybe this is a better conversation to have offline, but there's been times when we have constituents calling our office saying, I just saw the person at Potbelly. Like, they're in the city limits. How can we get, you know, when we've heard back that they haven't been able to get their papers served to them in, in four months? Not so familiar with that process, but we, we can have that conversation offline to see where uh-huh, it please. is we actually fit in there because we serve process every day, um, except for Saturdays and Sundays, and some people we do try to go and find. But we, we're serving process every day, and we don't allow paperwork to sit um, the paperwork that actually gets to us. The problem may be any paperwork that you're speaking of and any other paperwork needs to actually get to us. And once that paperwork gets to us, it's our, our guys go to the same places every day, just about, uh, in, in order to make sure that process is served. Um, we can look at the type of paperwork that you're talking about. If it's not something that code enforcement is actually responsible for and it's something that we're responsible for, we'll be more than happy to see what we can do to make that process um, speed to us a little bit faster. Because once we get it, we serve it. Okay. So it may be a prerequisite prior to getting to us that will prohibit it from being served if it's to be served by us. So, Ms. Larson, I would ask, because it sounds as if it's more than the sheriff that's probably a part of this conversation, if we can have staff to really look. And, Mr. Jackson, you may be helpful in this regard so we can find out where that bottleneck is. Okay. And we that, have several examples yeah. of situations that have happened. And I, I don't know the bottleneck. Right. I don't know why it's happening. But it, And Parker is shaking his head, so I'm sure it's happened to him too. But I would love to uh, get that worked out. So I want to unbundle this from any more budget items for the sheriff, but I want to be clear in putting this someplace so it can be looked at. Mr. Jackson, is, can you be point on this? Yeah, well, I hope so. Um, we need a little I mean, bit more in information about the kinds of paperwork, as the sheriff okay. was indicating, before we can even so figure, that we even council know where members. I'm sorry. I'm just saying we need to know more about the kinds of paperwork where we're having this problem before we know even who to ask and, and ask them what the problem is. So if council members could provide that information to Mr. Jackson and I, uh, so we can get clear in terms of the bottleneck, the who, what, and where, and be able to get back to all council members because it seems as if it's more than one um, council person for whom this is a challenge. Yes, ma'am. Okay? We'll do our best. Okay. So we'll, okay. we'll send that to Mr. Jackson yes. and then I'll copy our chief of staff on it as well. Perfect. Um, want to come back to you on budget items, and it looked like I had, I think, Mr. Agilesto, Ms. Gray, and then Mr. Jones on budget. Thank you, Sheriff Irving, for um, your, your 
uh, 90 days <laughs> thus far and in the next few years. And um, for the work on the budget, I know you've kind of come in and inherited a lot of uh, contracts. And one of the biggest concerns that I continue to have is the medical services contract. And part of what um, I recall when we moved from the former jail to the new jail is that we were building out a lot of in-house infirmary and staffing to be able to provide certain services on site rather than necessarily having to transport folks um, in an effort to curtail some of the, the expenditures related to medical services. And yet this contract continues to grow exponentially. I mean, this is, it looks like a 25%, 30% increase in the budget line item for medical services. And that's very alarming to me. Um, can you explain a little bit more if, if the population is eligible for Medicaid or other reimbursements, how that's being factored in here? And also, how is the per diem affected? Uh, because if we're, we're, we're housing roughly 250 inmates that should be in the Department of Corrections care, and we're paying for medical service contracts, I would expect that, you know, between that and the meals, it's well in excess of the $12 per day per diem reimbursement we get from the state. So I would like to better understand that. To be very transparent, um, there is a 3% increase. However, the contract that we currently are working under, we should have been working under a, a larger contract. Um, being that this is a highly impoverished community, there are a lot of sick people, and we want to make sure that we can provide the proper services uh, to them and for them. Um, there are some in-house uh, treatment areas that we do have at the Justice Center. However, again, as I stated, we have over 68% of our individuals that are incarcerated that's being treated for some type of um, uh, severe uh, medical condition, whether it's HIV, whether it's psycho, um, psychological or mental, um, we have a lot of young, uh, not just to say young, but a lot of our um, individuals that are there. The contract is going to increase um, simply because of the cost of providing uh, care for the individuals that are there. Um, right now, there are a lot of people with um, some pre-existing conditions that are also chronic conditions that we cannot go without helping or treating them for. So that would also call for an increase um, in our contract. What we are trying to do with our current vendor is to ensure that um, they are um, taking the, the least expensive route to ensuring for care instead of always having to instead of them waiting to go to send them to an emergency room. That it's in their contract that they should be. Um, Partnering with clinics, which would cost less than it would for an, an emergency visit, that would that would actually help us with our expenses. Uh, so we're actually working with them. Um, we have had some concerns with them uh, over the last three months, and we have provided them with a um, three-month evaluation as far as how they can improve their services for the funding that we're actually spending and which direction it is that, that we want to go in to ensure that we're providing the best possible care um, for the individuals there. And I know that's a lot to say about the 3%. It's going to be the 3% even if we, um, whatever contractor you're dealing with or vendor that you're dealing with, there's going to be an increase as it is in any other health care um, simply because of the um, national uh, administration that we have at this point, there are going to be some cost or increase in medical care. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, and I guess on the per diem, in terms of what we're spending, 
um, on behalf of the state and then the reimbursement that we're receiving. Do you have, from that medical uh, expense contract, do you have a sense of, on average, what we spend per day per uh, inmate for medical? Per day per inmate? Um, An average. We'll have that for you um, shortly. But as far as um, you asked about Medicaid, we have talked to our vendor about making sure that we are applying for that Medicaid for individuals that are going to the, the hospitals now. So we've actually educated them on that um, to reduce that expense. And then we're looking at the funding that's coming back to us for our reimbursements. We're also having to educate them on that as to how it is that that needs to be done to ensure that they can that we can get the proper amount of funding back from um, the state for those individuals that are state inmates. Okay, and and I'll just say, if if I took a, an average daily population of a thousand, which is a little bit higher than than what we've seen, um, and I take that medical expense line item at $8 million, which is a little bit less than I think budgeted, you're really talking about $22 a day per inmate um, for medical services. That's before we get to food and any other expenses um, that we get back on a per diem. And if you look at it, we are subsidizing the inmates that are housed by the Department of Corrections in Richmond City Jail by at least double what we get reimbursed from the state. Yeah, because the amount here is uh, $19.36 for our medical services. Um, per day. Per day. Per inmate. Yeah, because basically yep. we're having per day. we get reimbursed day. on a per diem of $12 a day from the state. Is that correct? Yes. And if I do the math uh, from the information that your office shared, we're housing approximately 280 Inmates that should have been transferred to the Department of Corrections? Yes. And that's out of a total population of, you know, just under 1,000. So we're talking roughly 28% of the jail population should have been transferred to the Department of Corrections. And the city is now subsidizing that to the tune of millions of dollars a year. Yes. What's your solution on addressing this? I know I asked Sheriff Woody when he was in your uh, position previously, and it just never seems that we can get any traction with um, the state to really address the cost that the city incurs on their behalf. Well, the one thing with the, the state reducing these facilities, it creates a problem for them to be able to house. And until the state determines whether or not it's feasible for them, which it may not be feasible for us as a city, to house and, and feed and uh, make sure that they take care of the individuals at a state, then it creates an issue for us, yes. But what we're trying to do this year or this upcoming year is to ensure that um, we're getting as many of those individuals to the state as we possibly can in a timely enough manner so that we won't incur those costs, especially the individuals that are high-cost um, inmates. We're trying to make sure that we can can have that conversation with um, state to ensure that we won't have that problem. And I so, know that the city had canceled its Pamunson Regional Jail contract, um, but is it would we still have to incur 100% of the cost of the inmates when we transfer them there? Is there a way to move the DOC inmates to the regional jail so that it's not necessarily on the city? 
we don't have, we are not connected to a specific regional jail at this point. Um, and to go back to your numbers, there's 134 out of compliance inmates as of the end of last month, which still incurs a cost. Um, and as I said, we'll be working with the state facility to um, get as many of those individuals out of our facility to ensure that they're being properly cared for. The other thing is we need to um, sit down and have the conversations to determine um, what we can do to move those individuals as well as what we can do to ensure that we're not incurring the, um, the majority of that cost. Because it's cheaper, as in anything, it's cheaper for somebody else to take care of and pay for them than why not leave them there. So we need to have that conversation as to why it is that we're having to pay the large end of that, um, those fundings when it's their particular inmate. So and, and Mr. Angelesto, because I think Mr. Angelesto, and I'm going to push this a little bit, his point is well taken, is where are those conversations to be had and how quickly can they be had? Um, and is that yourself? Is that, uh, do we need legislative uh, conversation? At what junctures, really, if you can identify those uh, so we can be helpful in that regard as well. I mean, certainly you'll have at the, I'm assuming state side, but if there are other uh, conversations that need to be had with the elected officials or others. Yes, uh, and we're actually um, setting up to have those conversations with some of the legislatures that we have locally that can help us to push forward um, for more facilities as well as uh, more funding that will come to us if we do um, have to continue to house those individuals. Okay. So, Mr. Adelesto, if that is responsive, then I'd like to go. I think it, if, 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 Sheriff Irving, if you could do us one favor, um, if there's a possibility to pull maybe a five-year trend of uh, those DOC inmates that we've been housing, um, particularly under the new jail system, um, and show us the line item cost of here's what we pay for food contract, here's what we pay for medical and other things, and then show what we're being reimbursed. I think it would be very helpful for our argument when we go to the General Assembly uh, and mm -hmm. talk to elected officials and say how unfair this burden is to the city of Richmond because we're not being compensated uh, <clears throat> adequately mm -hmm. to cover their obligation. It's not our obligation. It's their obligation and I don't so, think that they can pass those, those expenditures on to the locality without uh, fair and adequate uh, reimbursement. And granted, they've come up with a per diem of $12 a day. Is that for a jail in Pulaski County as much as at the jail in the city of Richmond? And the costs, I could not imagine, are even comparable. So, Mr. Angelesto, duly noted, yes. valid, more than valid point. And so if that information can be... You work with our staff um, to get that information, and we have time now before the upcoming is uh, get well this session isn't even out yet they're about to go back <laughs> next week, but I mean we don't have to wait for those conversations because it clear clearly it appears that the city is footing some additional costs that may not be rightfully ours and getting in front of that so if you would work with staff Ms. Yes, Jones, we're what, working on what's your we'll comment? Get it to you pertinent to and, and, this particular item otherwise and, and I'll I yield to, to Councilwoman Gray but uh, Councilmember Agilesto literally went down my line of questioning okay literally uh, because I had asked staff to gather that information as well okay um, I know it's not $12 a day 
I know it doesn't cost the city $12 a day. And I don't know what it will take from us in an official capacity to make sure that we get that information and bring change because there's no reason Richmond taxpayers should be footing a bill that the state should in light of the fact the state doesn't give us what we need for education and things of that nature. And so I I don't think you have a soul up here who would disagree. Yes, ma'am. And so we have a strategy to move it forward with the sheriff, Sheriff Irving, and her staff will work with our staff to get the numbers and the trending as Ms. Angelesto has asked for across all of those categories so we can all be better prepared to make the case here. Yes, ma'am. We'll make sure we get the numbers for the the state inmates as well as those that are actually out of compliance and make sure we can determine um, where we stand with the state and out of compliance numbers um, to make sure that they have all their time and how long they've been out of compliance. And we'll get all that information to you. We appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. And thank you, Mr. Jones and Ms. Gray. Well, um, similar along that line, uh, I see that you are establishing a special fund, and I guess that's to track those out-of-compliance funds more closely to the expenses. But where are the corresponding reductions on the general fund side to match up to that special fund that is being created? As far as the um, decreases in the personnel issues? Well, the the out-of-compliance special fund that's being created is going to move those dollars into that fund. So what reductions did we or should we be seeing on the general fund side? Those funds are actually the that we actually pay once they that's a medical in medical expenses those medical expenses are paid and then those expenses are paid back to us through um, state and then the the monies are being reimbursed but as you say it's not that much money that's being reimbursed so have we reduced and I understand it's a reimbursement fund but have we reduced the budget? to reflect that those funds are going to come back to a special revenue fund and not back into the general fund? Those fundings are for any expenses that medical, that the vendor pays for the actual individual when it goes out. If they're uh, out of compliance inmate, that fund, those funds are paid first by the medical provider and then the compliance will send the monies back as a reimbursement. I'm not sure if we're on the same conversation as far as the monies are so, concerned. So is the sheriff's office a pass-through to the vendor? Yes. So it, why, okay, so they reimburse the sheriff's office and you subsequently pay the contractor because yes. many sheriff's offices conduct their own medical so with the structure you have here, the contractors? The, the current structure that they have here is um, medical pays, is supposed to pay for everything except for the pharmaceuticals. Some agencies have, um, they pay just for the medical staffing, and then we as a sheriff's office in another contract would actually pay for pharmaceuticals, and then in another contract we would actually pay all of the medical expenses for each um, individual that we house. And that's the difference in how I see it being ran here than what I'm used to. So there's no 
net increase on the general fund side. It's just a pass-through. Yes. And you don't charge to administer or anything else? No. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, Ms. Trammell. Madam President, I just had one question. That's okay. Sheriff, I don't know know exactly how to ask you this because I don't know exactly. It's like when I think the police officers have to come and take, and and the chief might be able to help me with this because I think we had this discussion before. It's like when I think the Richmond police officer has to do the trans, like transport Mm -hmm. the person, and, and it's not under the sheriff's office anymore. Like they have to take them to another jurisdiction. Are you talking about temporary detention orders or um, emergency custody orders? I I believe that's what you're talking about. That was a general assembly change um, that the law enforcement agent, which would be the the city uh, police department, would actually do that. Uh, The the chief and I have been in conversation about that. Where I'm from, we normally did that. Um, So what we're trying to do is figure out how best that we can get that done. We've already started doing some emergency custody orders um, already. Um, which is a personnel matter as well, um, but we do have the staff in place that can actually do that, uh, which would increase in our overtime hours, which you would see overtime as an increase in our budget request. Um, so we have we are taking that on, um, and we'll, we haven't finished the conversation with the chief in reference to the temporary detention orders that would take someone to Bristol or to mm-hmm. um, some other faraway place other than um, somewhere that's local. We're in conversation to do that. Thank and you. if you did that, the state would help you. Help the state would help you with that, or because I don't know if the if the state no, and the state does not give reimburse the chief for his manpower that he has to use for per se to take the police officers out of his. It's basically a part of personnel and overtime that that you would incur, or whatever type of staffing changes that you would make to ensure that you have proper staff on duty at all times. Because a temporary detention order could happen at two in the morning or two in the afternoon, and it ties them up for hours and hours. Hours and hours at a time. So you're working on that with the general assembly, maybe to get that changed. Well, that's a conversation that we need to have because at this point it, it helps us and it hurts him, but we'd like to do it as a team. Uh, so the chief and I are in conversations about trying to make that work better. All right, because I was okay. going to ask that maybe to come to my public safety meeting maybe in June. Maybe that would give, you know, the whole month of May or whatever so that you could give us more information, you and the chief, on that. Yes, ma'am. All right, thank and you. It- and Ms. Trammell, if you would share that with all of us, because I think that's a part of that prior discussion as well as making the case for why the state should reimburse for some of the activities that the municipality is taking on. So if you could keep the rest of us surprised, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. And the Ms. other thing is you have to remember, or not sure if you guys are aware, that a lot of the um, detention orders actually are individuals that are not incarcerated. That's a mental health type of issue. So that would come from a, a whole different aspect mm-hmm. of how and why someone would, would actually be reimbursed for that. Okay. Okay. Ms. Gray. We're rounding well, this the may not be related to you, but it just jogged my memory that we got a letter about an incarcerated person who's relocating to the Richmond area and um, he was convicted of aggravated sexual battery. And I'm wondering, do you get those same reports from the corrections? Yes, we get the same information to, to let us know that those individuals are in our area. 
And what kinds of services are they, when they're released, do they connect with you? Do they connect with the parole office? I mean, how, how are those um, things tracked, and where is that? They're actually either assigned to a probation or parole officer that actually track them and keep up with what it is their daily activities are, what jobs they have, where they live, who they live with, where they, you know, what communities they, they live in, and what activities they participate in. That's totally tracked under them. We don't track that at all. We just know that they're here, um, and if something may come up, we'll know where they are or if they ask us or ask the police department to go and find them or any of that. Because I never okay. received a letter like that. I was wondering, is there any action on our part, or is there any engagement, or is there something that, or is it okay. just for information? It's more information than anything else. Okay. Okay. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Sheriff Irving um, and your staff, we, uh, and I'm sure I'm preempting Ms. Trammell and thanking you and your staff for all of the work you've done, and certainly in 90 days to wrap your arms around what's going on. We're very appreciative in shepherding forward with the budget and assessing the needs in the uh, Justice Center. Just really want to say thank you, and uh, look forward to our continued work together. Thank you. I appreciate it. Counselors, that will conclude our uh, budget presentation. Uh, what, what I do want to say for this afternoon, in between the four o'clock uh, meeting, there will be a five o'clock OD meeting, organizational development. And so I, the agenda doesn't look as if it should take us to eight. PM, um, but we do have that blocked off. So we will uh, adjourn this session, reconvene at four with a uh, hard stop at five for the organizational development committee meeting, and then uh, we will revisit any items we haven't covered in that second session. Thank you. This meeting stands adjourned. Thank you, everyone, uh, for your presentations and. Uh, certainly your responses to our questions and the follow-up information you'll provide.